welcome back to a new episode of the TetraCast, episode 319, uh, recording on October 7, 2023. Happy October, everyone. We're here. Uh, as you can tell, I am Josh Torres. I am not your usual host for the TetraCast. Brian Vitali is still out and about. Hopefully, we'll have him back next week. But until you're stuck with me, um, joining me is the usual crew. We have Adam Vitali. You remembered my name this time. I did it. <laughs> I don't know why I forgot your name. Like, it's not like we've been working together for like six years or something. Like yeah, that. of course not. It's don't worry. Like, my best friend can't remember my own name sometimes. I remember your name. Your name is Chow Min Wu. Oh. Back. Oh, no. I got to change my name now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, I, I get. All right. I guess. And then we have uh, James Galizio returning with us as well. I'm actually well rested this week. Yeah, you're, you're here. You're, you're you're active. You've you've gotten a full week's rest. Unlike last week, we just barely got back from Japan. You're like, I, I'm here. I gotta talk. I gotta talk about it, and then collapsed after. Um, yeah, so, n- nice to hear that you made a good recovery. Doesn't sound like you had like any illnesses or anything, or any sort of like you know just weird sicknesses uh, coming back from your long trips. So that's good. Well, no con illnesses. Yeah, I mean, there's a slight bit of it, but nothing major. It's okay. like, yeah. That's good. That's good. And then there you got your jet lagged all settled out and everything. Um, th- this week, uh, not a lot of news this week. It was a fairly quiet week. There's still some bits and pieces here and there, but there was a, a good amount of new releases this week. Um, we're, we're at that part of the year where it's uh, no news, only game releases until December, in, wh- I, in which yeah. case the cycle begins anew. <laughs> Yeah, there's not really even like any gaming events for a while, like not on the calendar. That like not until like December-ish, I guess. Uh, TJs, and that's basically it. Yeah, TJs and Jump Festa, right? And Jump Festa is even more just anime jump stuff, right? Which yeah, usually games... it's, it's like sometimes yeah, and then if uh, if the if the moons align, maybe Grand Blue Fantasy Fest will give us something to talk about too. Probably not. Um. But other than that, yeah, the TGAs are really the things that we're probably looking forward to next for gaming events. This week we have um, Chow and James have been playing the new East game that released in Japan uh, about like a week or so ago. So we've had East 10 Nordics. Um, I'll be talking about uh, Silent Hope, which is a new game coming out of uh, Exceed and Marvelous. Um, I, was, I, I was torn between whether to buy Silent Hope or Disgaea 7. And then I decided to go with Silent Hope because I got save data to transfer over for the demo. Uh, and then uh, Adam here is uh, he. Adam, when did this release? He's he's playing an uh, an action RPG that came out several like years ago called Crisis. Yeah, I was gonna say it's got to be 2019 because it was like pre-COVID. So yeah, it's called Crystar because. Um, he might want to check out uh, an upcoming game called Cry Machina, which is technically not related to it, but just due to like you know, they feel like I'm curious about Cry Machina too. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I'm curious about Cry Machina too. Yeah. So starting off, we have uh, Adol's a new adventure with East Ten Nordics. Um, James and Chow, you guys have been playing it. Uh, let's start with you, Chow. Uh, what do you think of this new East game? I, I think it's great. Like, it's probably... Well, like, I, I know, like, it's not perfect, but it's it's a great use game. I, I think it's better than 9. 
I'm not quite sure I would rate it above eight yet. So. This is this is yeah. a big shakeup, right? So East Ten, it's finally like you know, it's not going uh by the party system of seven, eight, and nine. It is ba- it is a brand new system that has Adol and this new heroine heroine named Karja, I believe. Yeah, and it's and it's just the, those two characters are playable. It's like a duo system. It's no longer like hey yeah, like a standard four player party. Um, tell us more about how this game works, James. On like, what's the battle system like? Okay, so like uh, every ever East game in the last like uh, 12, 13 years. When did East Seven come out? Twenty ten. A million years ago. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Well, basically, it still has skills for like um, that you like have SP. You use skills. Uh, the way that's changed now is that, like you said. Instead of it being a party system where the whole thing is, okay, you swap between party members to kind of, like, break enemies that are weak to a specific element of attack, and then you can go ham, and it's like, okay, you want to switch your party members out depending on who you're fighting. Uh, there's still the skill system, obviously, and you're still switching between, like, t- multiple characters because you have Adol and Karja, but the way the gameplay works is very different. First off, Flash of Aid, as you know it, completely gone. Flash Guard, as you know it, completely gone. It's well, kind of still there, but it's very different in how it works. And uh, the best way to describe um, East 10's combat system is it's very much a... It's reactive, but also it really incentivizes you to play around, which is something that you couldn't really say if the previous like party system meets combat systems, because it very much got to the point where it's like you found the one skill that you liked and you just started spamming that whenever you had the SP for it. And there was really no downside to not doing that. Uh, Well, no upside to not doing that. Uh, The way it works in East 10 is that both uh, Adol and Karja have separate SP meters and uh, there is a chain attack system. But instead of the chain attack being the number of hits you get in on an opponent, it's instead the number of attacks that you do with skills that aren't the same skill in a row. And the higher the chain is, the less SP each of your skills does. So in practice, what you want to be doing is you want to be building up a chain between like Adol and Karja, and sometimes you're going to have to swap between them because it's like, okay, You've gotten as high as you can for chain with Adol, but if you keep if you wait for your SP to fill up, you're going to break the chain. So you need to switch to Karja and start like bringing it up on her end. And then once you get to high enough chain, it's like, well, now you can just kind of like start spamming your stronger skills between the two of them and even the combined skills because you get such enough. You get such a uh, a uh, not a discount a um you get such a reduction of the base SP cost for them that it makes sense to like go really kind of go ham with the uh, combined mode, spamming those strong skills because once your chain's high enough, it's like, you're just kind of like, especially in boss fights, you're just like tearing through them and it feels really satisfying because you have to still think about, okay, don't use the same skill in a row. Which skill do you want to use when? Cause some skills are better for breaking enemies. Cause some stronger enemies have like a shield through HP bar first before you can like really damage them. And I don't know. What do you feel about the combat system, Chow? I, I think it's like a good blend of the old party system and something of like the older East games from like East Open Ghana kind of period of times. At least that's how I feel, right? It, it feels more arcadey if you get what I'm saying, which is something I would more prefer. The entire, in. Yeah, the entire game outside of like maybe the ceiling aspect feels a lot more arcadey too. 
Uh, for better or worse, I'd say that while like uh, East 8 and even East 9 to an extent really kind of focused on the on-foot exploration, that's really not the major aspect of East 10 this time. Like uh, you're not like on foot, you're only really exploring like islands that are very, very like it's a very it's a it's an experience that's very suited, perhaps, for the fact this is their first game releasing on Switch, like current generation like new release. Uh, it definitely feels like something where it's like, well, we want to have the islands be something that you could maybe just like burst through in a short session on a switch or something. Yeah. To be clear about like your switch, like remark, it's like, it's like the, the first one, like they're like releasing like side by side with the other uh, releases simultaneously in Japan. So usually in Japan, they would release like on PlayStation first, then switch later. And then yeah. from what I understand is like the first one that they're releasing side by side on multiple platforms. Yeah, and, the, and the Switch port is competent. I, yeah, some people yeah. might be worried that it might turn out like East 9, because I heard the East 9 Switch port wasn't that great when the first launch or something. Like, I, yeah, I, I well, I mean, East, not, East 9 is a whole never can of worms, because even on PS4, that game does not run well. Uh, but uh, yeah, um, I'll say that, uh, and I kind of glossed over it, but so, like, as you we were talking about, you can switch between Adol and Karja, and then there's like the whole like chain system. The other thing is, is that while you can like fight as one of them alone and then you can switch between them, there's also an ability called combine mode where if you hold down the right trigger, you get access to those stronger combined skills, but also your regular attack is uh, both of them at once. So it's like you do a lot of damage. You just can't move as quickly. So it's more like, okay, once uh, an enemy is like kind of like tripped or something, you can just like kind of go ham with the regular combined. Well, the regular attacks in combined mode and then it's it's interesting there's there's a lot to talk about with the combat system with the, Could, with the combined mode that you're talking about when you hold down the right down trade like are, can you move them like simultaneously like with like with like eight on the left stick and cards on the right stick, no 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 no, no they move as one uh, and okay. one of the core conceits of the plot itself is the fact that uh basically adol and karja are connected by this thread this rope and uh, literally, they cannot get more than like 15 feet apart or something like that. Oh, okay. So that's actually like a central plot element of... Yeah. Okay. But yeah, like certain like like bosses, you know, or even enemies in general, like sometimes they have a glowing red flash. And if they do that, the only way you could guard it is to make sure you kind of like time it right and make sure both of them are guarding it together simultaneously. Okay. Right. Okay. To be fair... Chow's making it sound harder than it is. If both uh, Adol and Karja are like alive and not knocked down, then all it all it takes is just holding down the R two, well, the uh, right trigger, because that's also your guard button. If both of them are alive and you time R two at the right time, you can guard against those power attacks, and then you can not only can you do a repost if you uh, time it right, but one of the other aspects of the combat system is the revenge gauge. Which, uh, so when I said that like flash guard is still kind of there, but not really, uh, the whole thing where like you flash guard and then for a period of time, all your attacks are critical hits. That's no longer a thing. Instead, guarding, uh, like against attacks will slowly raise your revenge gauge. But if you time them perfectly, it'll, it'll, um, rise at a higher rate and I call it a gauge, but really more, it's like a multiplier. And so like at first it caps had it two uh two times you can find like items that like raise the cap and what it does is that it makes it so that the next skill you do that's the damage multiplier added on top of it 
So like for bosses, especially you can like be reactive and it's like, okay, guard their attacks at just the, the exact moment. And suddenly you can like your next like combined skill does like three times the damage or something like that. And so it's like, it feels very good. It like rewards you for like guarding, but it doesn't immediately break the game apart on its knee. And I feel like it's a good middle ground. So when it comes to the, the structure of the game, like you're saying smaller islands, like are these smaller islands sort of like stages? Like how explorable are these islands They're, like compared to like East 8 or something? Stages is a good way of kind of describing it. There's, uh, I, I'd say this game, ironically enough, is structured very similarly to what besides like the world map on the uh, like with the uh, sailing and whatnot. I don't know, Chow. I, I'm feeling maybe this is a bit of a bit of a stretch, but I feel, I get a bit of a Nayuda vibe to how long these uh, stages are and how it feels structured. Yeah, how- this game's pretty bite sized in my opinion. Like like the chapters, like you could you could probably estimate each length of each chapter. It was probably like two to three hours or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, longer if you do the side uh, side activities. And uh, I guess one thing I will say is that I've seen some people complain about the sailing and how slow it is. Ironically enough, I feel like the way that the game's uh, world map and sailing is structured feels a bit lopsided in the sense that the beginning areas that you explore are way more wide open and bigger for your ship. But by the time you get your ship upgraded, like its speed, its attack, its defense, all sorts of things, the ability to mana, use the mana sail to like boost. Once you get all that, like the areas you explore in the, near the end of the game, they're smaller. They're smaller than the first like three areas you explore. Yet those three areas you explore first are the ones that would really benefit from the upgrades the most. Mm. So it's so it's a bit weird. I like the sailing, but I completely understand some of the folks that might not. They're definitely going to like compared to like say Wind Waker. Uh, I I feel the sailing <laughs> reminds me of was it you know the Kingdom Hearts free mini game with the you sailing. You mean in that the one? gummy ship? Like that's not, not just the, Kingdom not Hearts. The gun, I think it's the, the Pirates of the Caribbean. Oh, yeah. the, the Pirates, Pirates of the Caribbean. Okay, that okay. Part, it does. I'd say that par- the Pirates of the Caribbean world in Kingdom Hearts three did it better. <laughs> yeah, I, I also in that same boat, <laughs> but. Uh, you know, it's it's kind of I it's, don't know, low it, budget. For it, <laughs> I I, I will it. say I will say that I think that the sailing is fine. By far, my biggest problem with the game is uh, and and to be clear, I'm, I'm like at the end of chapter seven. I'm like entering into chapter eight. I'll just say this: this game, it is shocking how many of the environments look like identical. Cycle. <laughs> yeah, oh. yeah, it's like. I understand they're trying to go for a whole like uh, northern like uh, Europe aesthetic where it's like, oh, you have all these like green hills and whatnot. But it's like, that's everything. And it's like you see in some key art this like volcano, but the island that has a volcano is dormant and it's just as much of a green hill as everything else. You don't see any like and again, maybe there's some stuff in, in the end of the game. But even if there is, it's like for like two thirds of the, the journey, like there's only two environments you're going to see. Caves cave. and grassy and hills. hills. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And and, and no, it's it's almost to the a, point. Shit on it, but it, yeah, it's a it's, great game. Yeah, and there is some like great looking environments, but it's one of those things that does stand out to you because it's like one of my main complaints with Feast Nine was like, oh man, so much looks the same. But once you got outside the city, like stuff did look different. Like it didn't look as like uh, unique as East Eight, but like it's one of those things where it's. 
maybe Falcom's kind of played themselves because not only East eight, but even like the, the uh, Kuro games, like, uh, I guess, sorry, trails through daybreak games. They have very distinct environments throughout all of them. And so it's like, it stands out that like the last two East games have been kind of lacking in like visual identity. Or, well, maybe not visual identity, because East 10 definitely has a very striking aesthetic. It's just like the visual like variety, much like in East 9, even more so than East 9, is uh, kind of uh, a problem, which is very unfortunate. Yeah, yeah. So, um, there were other things about this game that they showed off. There's like, like uh, I guess Adol has like a, a surfboard now or something like that. He can like surf through the air. The Grumbleboard. Oh, the Grumbleboard. Sorry. That's... Uh, like, I, I will say, I will say, I really like that. I don't know how Chow feels about that, but I think that it's probably the best new addition to the game when it's used with the level design. It does, it isn't used all the time, but when they make use of it, it feels really good, especially when you consider the fact that it's like, it's actually momentum based. Like you have to use it at, at the top of a hill to really get the speed oh, going. Interesting. Okay, so it's not like at a predetermined speed. It's actually you're you're taking into like. Account, yes, like the yeah, and there's terrain. even some environmental puzzles to get get access to some chests and some crystals and whatnot. Where it's like, okay, you're got so you so so there's there's like a ramp going down, and then there's a ramp on the other end, and it's like you have to to start it from the top of this ramp so you get a get enough speed so you'll like slingshot across that sort of thing. And then there's a whole thing where it's like there's like areas in some levels where there's like deep water. And you'll just you, the only way you can like forward across it is to ride the board. So it's like I do like the level design in this. I, I would say that like despite my issues with like the visual variety, I feel like the level design here is very good overall. I, I do like the surfboard uh, segments, uh, but there are certain parts of the game where I like wonder why did you even have this? Do, do you remember like the the mana goggles, the one eye monocule thing, and you're doing oh, like that's... the stealth section? The stealth section thing. That's the only time they really use it. But I feel like if you're going to add something like that into the game, the way they did it was better than like the majority of games that do it. So, And it's like and it's mostly there to just like kind of remind you how to use that mechanic, even if you really only do that for like some platforming things. And then that one thing there. I feel like it's, that thing wasn't really quite necessary, but eh, I guess each to their own. Yeah. Uh, has there been like any like combo attacks that like really struck out to you? Like I remember in one of like the, the gameplay footage was there's this cool combo attack that Karja did where she like get like she like kinda like baseball bats eight all towards the enemies. Has there like any like other like combo attacks like that that'll go like make you go, whoa, that's kind of cool what they did there? There's some very flashy ones, I'll definitely agree. And I do like uh the way that they uh animate them. Like pretty much all of them, they're really well animated. Uh, I don't say that especially ever since uh, like Reverie, like Falcom's really upped their animation uh, quality, especially in like key scenes and whatnot. But, but, that, but like starting, not, not really starting with East 8, but definitely more noticeable in East 8, East Night, there was definitely there these, um, it was more story heavy, interactive with NPCs and definitely uh, swayed more into like the Kiseki Trails territory, the way that they presented their stories. And East 10, is it like, more I of a return to roots to east or more in that direction i feel like it's a good enough balance because there's definitely like story there but a lot of it is like very optional stuff and a lot of the character interaction it 
don't know. I feel like, yes, there's all that like trails, like story stuff. Hey, here's your quest log. Here's the time limit for it. That sort of and thing. There's like, there's like, like character quest lines. I imagine like, character yeah, yeah. Quest. There, there is stuff there and, and all that, but it's like a modern Falcom game. It's like, it's going to be there, but I feel like that the balance is definitely struck a lot better than say like East nine. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, Chad, what do you feel about it? I feel it's good because you kind of get to know everybody right from the get-go. Like, it's like something that happens in the story, and you all kind of scatter, and you got to find them, and you got to... It's like you kind of know enough about them that you kind of have a motive to, like, trying to find them at the beginning, if you get what I'm saying. Yeah. Is the is the ship now like your new base camp? Kind of yes. like how the yes. Okay. I I like the ship a lot more than the bar they had in East Nine. It's still very much, hey, here's our central hub where all the NPCs you find are, but it feels way more natural. It, it and, seems more like a, like a voyage that like you're undertaking together because like you're more mobile now. Yeah, yeah, it feels much better than East Nine. I still think that East Eight did it maybe the best, but I'd say that East Ten is a very close second. That's cool. Yeah. So, and you actually get to like explore the ship then, since you're. Uh, the... Yes, there's okay. like three layers to the ship. There's the deck. Uh, there's the um, the like uh, the main floor where you have like your like map and a uh, couple of NPCs. Then there's the hole where you have pretty much everyone else. And obviously, like some of the NPCs will move around a bit. Sometimes um, they'll like they'll be on the like mast like look out and whatnot it's 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 very nice uh one of the things i really like about uh the ship is that there's a whole side quest where it's like hey so this one girl really likes picards uh you're fine and so as you're exploring the world you'll sometimes find picards and you're eventually just like getting all these different picards for her and you get like a total of like i don't know like four or five it's like it's really funny because like all the different like situations where it's like hey this picard's really fast like he'll just like run like and i posted like a video of it on my twitter and it's it's not really a spoiler it's very funny but it's just like he'll just like catapult off a ramp and you'll just see him like kind of go off into the distance you have to chase off chase chase him and then there's like a picard that you just find on like a random like island that that everyone's like oh he must have been like part of a ship that like started sinking and it's like this poor guy is like scared like scared like scared about everything right now and stuff like that uh but um very cute there's uh, another that have a secret boss like he's over forgotten with the with the cards yeah uh but yeah i i will say that i do generally like the side quests in this one talking about that uh i feel like that east nine side quests were also pretty good but east 10 i feel like there's it's funny. There's like a few specific side quests that really stand out without and spoiling also anything. One really terrible one in my opinion. Uh, like, Chow, did you do the one with the fruit? Um, yeah, I did the one with the fruit. I like that one. Yeah, it's really good. It's it's shocking how that one is very specifically like very specifically got more budget than the rest of the side quests. Yeah, yeah, you, you actually like went over there and with like that, you're talking one with the fruit with the undead, right? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that was a good one, in my opinion. Oh, <laughs> I think, I think. No, 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 no more about it. No more about it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fine. Uh, yeah, uh, it's but yeah, it's like East Ten's good overall. Um, obviously, I'm not quite finished with it yet. Uh, I'll have a full feature, like basically on a score reviewed up for it, per, like sometime next week. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I like it more than East Nine. It's. It, 
I probably don't like it quite as much as E8, but I maintain that E8 is probably the best game that Falcom's made. So uh, I, I'm kind of in that boat too. I think E8 is probably their best use game, and I hate the party system with a passion. But E8 sort of made it work, and I I grew to love the game, you know. Um, yeah. But the one thing that I think we forgot to mention, did we talk about the release line? I think that's what it's called. The kind of oh, like yes. sphere grade. Okay, system. okay, okay. So yeah, release line is like uh, so. What's the best way to describe it? It's, it's like a, a more it's, refined it's, sphere grid. It's a sphere opinion. grid, but it's also a trails in the sky uh, cross bell like orbit system. Mm. It's dope. So the way it works is is that you got these different colored like uh, are they called runes? I think they're called runes. Uh, mana, can, ma- mana, mana, mana seeds. seeds, mana seeds. Right, right. They they're stored in the rune mingle. That's why I was confused. The mana seeds. Uh, but yeah, so you get them and. As as uh, Adol and Karja level up, uh, they get access to these like this release line, which is basically a giant spear grid type thing going down. It branches out, and the way it works is is that you have these different runes. Well, sorry, mana seeds that have different attributes to them, and they also are different colors. And there's these additional like bonuses you get for making lines of uh, of uh, different types of mana seeds of different colors. And then there's different levels of mana seeds up to like level three, I believe, so that that increases the strength of the line. And then there's like the rainbow ones, which lets you connect lines of various colors throughout. It's it's I don't know how much I necessarily feel like it impacts the gameplay, but as far as like a little bit of like a fluff and like kind of. um I, I do like it. I do like it. I don't know how much it actually impacts the game, but it, it, I like it. I, I like think it quite it has a bit. enough that it makes your character a lot stronger, in my opinion. Yeah, because yeah, you, you can get, like, just those like passive if you get. Yeah, like, those passives can be good, especially. Yeah, those passives can be good. Be good. Oh, I, I think it's in the line. <laughs> I think you'll need it. Yeah. Well, maybe only for nightmare. I've been playing on. What difficulty did you play on, Chow? Uh, hard. I am a chicken. I played okay. it on I don't hard. Play, yeah, I don't play on Inferno. I, okay. I'll, I'll be honest. I'll be honest. I don't feel like any like uh, East game has been designed around playing Nightmare on the start since like E seven. So I think the only East game I ever tried to beat on a Nightmare or Inferno playthrough was East Origin, and I couldn't even beat that. I get to like near the end. I struggle I mean, with some of the boss near the end. I. I have the achievement for for clearing all three of the routes on on Nightmare. Nice, but yeah, uh, I think that's really all to talk about besides uh, the music. Uh, which, uh, uh, yeah. okay, okay, I will say this: I fully understand the people complaining about the fact that Falcom just keeps outsourcing more and more of their music. And regardless of how you feel about Mitsuo Senga, that dude is overworked. He needs. He needs to slow down and Falcom needs to give their other composers like more of the workload. Cause I think there's some really good like songs that Singa did in East 10, but he has so much of the soundtrack and so many of them are just grating. And it's like, something's got to give. There's definitely been some East 10 tracks. I've heard that I'm like, mm, I don't know about this. Any of the songs <laughs> are done by Singa that has a lead guitar. They're god awful. No, 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 no. I I will say, I will say, there's a couple of them that have actual guitars that I think are fine. It's just like, I think what, like, there's two problems with Singa. One, he's very much overworked. Two, dude needs to get better samples because most of the time his his best songs are the ones that have actual instrumentation. 
it, it kind of reminds me of the, the <laughs> McBurn. I would never get over that McBurn song. The Deep Carnival from Cold Steel 4 is like literal clown music. And <laughs> there's a boss music that sounds kind of close to it, but it kind of suits the chaotic scenery. Yeah, so I'm yeah. kind of like, okay with this. I, I will somewhat. say overall, I will say overall, I still prefer this game soundtrack to East 9. Yeah, that okay. might be a bit of a hot take. That might be a bit of a hot take. There, there's I, some okay tracks in East Nine, but I I, I, I can see uh, any other game surpassing it. For okay, sure. okay, okay. Wait, there's one song in this game that makes it might be better than the other soundtracks. Mm. It's it's the only saving grace. It's the whale music. If anyone knows which yeah, song that but, is, well, that's really good. I Kaguchi had a bunch of great songs in this soundtrack, which I'm glad. I'm glad. Like he he's really coming to his own as a musician, but man. I think even more than Senga, it's just like depressing seeing the state of Sonata because it's like that dude is just like, uh, man, you can tell his heart's not in it. Literally, who, none who, of his composed the title theme because people say that was outsourced too. It's a I don't know. It, it the title theme's good. Again, I maintain that like Senga isn't inherently bad. It's just that dude is like spending is like way overworked and he needs to improve his instrumentation. That's basically it. But yeah, he wants to get paid. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I guess the, it's gonna be weird saying like obviously it's not gonna be the final East game, uh, but it makes me wonder what the next East game is already gonna be like because the, I didn't, I didn't know that the the whole link between Adol and another party member was like a plot device. It's like can they actually make this battle system work again in a, another future title that that I assume will be like you know plot linked or related. There's some foreshadowing if you beat the game, but oh, okay. I, I won't spoil that part. So okay. you'll yeah, just have to find I, out when you I, beat I, it. I will say that even though this game is like right after East 2 and like right before East uh, East uh, Memories of Celsada in the timeline, uh, it it very much like there's a lot of interesting like plot developments for Adol as a character and like kind of like foreshadowing what his ultimate role in the games like like the uh, series of the world is. So very interesting stuff. And I, I think that's about all I'm going to say, but like Chow knows what I mean when I say that. Yeah, I do. Yeah. So um, very, very much looking forward to uh, East 11. There's like three different ways it can go because they've like, unlike previous games where it felt like they were only kind of laying the groundwork for like, Oh, like after East nine, everyone was like, we're finally going to go to, to Rom. And it's like, no, we're, we're, we're going backwards in the timeline, but it's like, now there's like so many different ways it could go. Is he going to go to, uh, Britia? I think it's pronounced like Britain. Basically. Is he going to go to Rome? Rom? Or is he going to go to, is he finally going to go to the North pole? Who knows? Is he going to go to space? I yeah. actually, actually probably more hype for a North, North pole game, but yeah. Who knows when that'll be. But maybe we get a remake of five first. Who knows? I I'm very curious because if this game's like framework was designed around the Switch, I don't know if they're gonna make an East Five remake until like I, I don't know. I don't know. Cause I like it felt like after East Nine, they were like laying the groundwork for an East Five remake because like the whole like city thing, like that that kind of felt like okay the prototype but who knows who knows it's going to be interesting to see how things uh, evolve over the next couple of years like 
another thing to consider is like, yeah, like Nisa is doing the uh, port for Trails for Daybreak, but it's like, what is Falcom going to do for like Trails for Daybreak 3? It's probably going to come out next year. Is it going to be on the Switch or heaven forbid, is it going to be on the next generation Nintendo platform if they can't get it working on the Switch? I, I don't know. Very interesting. Uh, very, we're heading into a very like, I'm not sure if I'd say a rocky period for Falcom, but it's like, especially with the fact that like East 10 did really well on switch it, like at least compared to the PS five version, like the switch version sales are off to a really strong start. It's going to be curious to see whether or not that means that Falcom's going to double down on focusing on like Nintendo, like systems first, especially if the state of like PlayStation consoles in Japan, uh, who knows, who knows, but, but, if anyone's still wary, it's like this switch this is good. runs good as a yeah. PS4 version, I would say. I think that's yeah. how people were comparing it. I guess I, we should say, I guess we should say, what platform did you play it on? Because I've been uh, mostly on, playing on, on PS5. The switch. I play, you played, playing this, on the you played it on Switch? Okay. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, it's confident. Like, yeah, it's confident. Say, I, I didn't want to say like definitively that the Switch version is like really, really good because I only played about like a couple of hours on my switch copy skipping cutscenes to just get a, an idea of it but it's like what i played it's like yeah no this is really good it like, runs better than compromises but. it runs better than east 8 did on vita which is all you can really ask for so <laughs> yeah but like like if i get a chance to play this game again it's like i'll, I'll play on the ps5 i want to see no uh, no 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 wait for the pc port you've already played it chow oh man yeah, he's exactly. yeah, making that decision for you. He's like, no, Chow. I will make that decision for you. Well, if they ever get a PC for it, I was going to buy on PC, but you know. I, I'm sure it's well down the line. I'm sure either Nisa or Clouded Leopard or both, probably both, before it's a PC. <laughs> I mean, Cloud, uh, Cloud Leopard Entertainment did the port for the Switch. I mean, weren't they? No, no, no. That was Falcom in house. Like, yeah. Oh, then, then why are they in the credits? I see them all the time in like, in like certain videos. Like I, I, I don't know, Chow. We should ask Falcom that. I mean, okay. It's like, <laughs> well, does the Japanese version have like, like the Korean translation or whatnot? Uh, from what I understand, the way that the so this released day and date with a Chinese and Korean translation, but the way it worked is there was a patch to the Japanese version. Oh, for those what? regions, which is really, really weird. That's what I've been hearing. That's why. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and to be clear, like, and this is something that I kind of like talked about on Twitter earlier, where it's like, yeah, Falcom, especially recently, it's been very evident that it's like maybe, maybe they shouldn't be uh, like relying on having their games come out so like close to the wire because like. Like Trills for Daybreaks, Japanese release, almost infamously, at least among those of us that played it at the Japanese release, was basically unfinished. Yeah. Like there was a patch like 30 days later where it was like, hey, it's 60 FPS now. Here's some missing story scenes. And by the way, uh, some uh, scenes in the game have much better, tra uh, uh, much better animations. Also, Van's uh, S Craft animation is completely different. I mean, they did that in the. Was it? And then, like for East 10, the Switch version is good at launch, but you need that day one patch, because it's abysmal about it. Yeah, I mean, even Cold Steel suffered for this problem. I mean, nobody yeah. played it on the Vita when it first came out today. Like, not like not like the American release. No, not, well, no, even even the American release in specific scenes, like, 
any festival, especially for all the alpha effects of like the confetti and whatnot, this is maybe running at 15 FPS. This is bad. <laughs> okay, well. I yeah. Was, uh, but I anyways. was talking about like the screen transition loadings. Yeah. Okay, well, that's uh, uh, first first impressions. I have on, one question. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, is Karja cool? Karja's uh, cool. I, I like her. She reminds me I, of, was it the Mirin from Gundam? Uh, I wouldn't even say I wouldn't even say that's like a perfect example. I, I do. I, I think it's a VA. I sort of think. Does this I, very I, I'm wondering if kind it kind of, of feels impression. like some of the earlier East games where you had like uh, uh, Elena in in uh, Ar- not Arkanatism, uh, Oath and Pagana, or Olha in Arkanatism, where they're like the heroine, but they're not playable. But Karja's is playable, so I assume she's a lot more present. Yeah, Karja yeah, I mean, is one of the main protagonists. Like, I mean, literally... Does Adol really talk? I know he's got, like, some voice lines now, but... He, he's got some voice lines, and you do have, like... Uh, well, let me put it this way. One of the core aspects of the game's plot is the relationship between Adol and Karja. And because of that, even if he's not directly speaking, he's a lot more expressive, especially in regards to, like, uh, dealing with, with her. Uh, so... Like, and, and, and it fits because, like, obviously he is still very young in this game. He is, like, fresh off of, like, uh, East 2, uh, and he's a very, there's a very, there's a lot of, like, uh, playfulness to Adol's character in this game, which I do appreciate quite a bit. Uh, they do kind of straddle that line. I feel like they come out, like, come out of it, like, um, doing about as, uh, well as I could have hoped. And maybe even that's a bit, like, uh, a bit negative, but I do like the way that uh, Adol is uh, kind of uh, showcased in this game. Yeah, I kind of figure sort of how, like, Donna was pretty much the de facto character of Issei. Like, Karja is pretty much the de facto character of this game, I would imagine. I know Adol's the main character, but it's usually more about the to, other one. That's to the way explain... I kind of yeah, to explain just how much of a focus Karja is... Nice 10 because this is not really a spoiler because it's like very very early on is that like one of the things is is that there's like a whole trial where Adol and Karja go through the rights of basically becoming like blood brothers so yeah yeah okay that is East 10 Nordics out now in Japan for uh, PlayStation platforms and Switch um, you'll see it in the best whenever it does and yeah uh, moving on, we have Silent Hope. I've been uh, playing Silent Hope. I I've actually beat it um, not too long ago. Uh, the main story there is post game stuff. How long is it? Um, so my my time is skewed. So the 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 demo I played for way too long. Like the demo probably has um about like one and a half hours of content. Let me go pull up my Steam thing. And uh, I didn't realize the demo was available on Steam. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Was it a Steam Next Fest thing or? No, no. It, it, it came out with Star Ocean and Dragon Quest Monsters mm. and that stuff. Um, this is about so about nine, a little over nine hours in the full release. So that so that give or take, you're looking like like about a ten to eleven hour game, maybe twelve. Okay, um, okay. I will play this after I finish East Ten. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> it's, not, it's not it's not bad. Um, but yeah, it's it's an okay game. This is the game from uh, that was released by Exceed and Marvelous. This is the kind of the roguelite element, but uh, has a has a clear action RPG. It's about um, these seven heroes lost their voice, and the rest of the world lost their voice. But you control these one of these seven heroes. You go down this abyss uh, through dungeon floors until 
you know, uh, until you beat out the big bad boss at the end of that abyss. Um, and each of the floors that you go through is somewhat procedurally generated, um, though there are some like floors that are like narratively, you know, uh, pre-designed here. Um, and then all of the seven characters that play differently, you have your uh, standard like uh, like sword and shield class. You have the 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 big uh, Buster Sword class. You have the you have a farmer. You have a caster. You have um, the 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 rogue bandit type of class. Uh, and so forth. And they'll have their own different skills, different the weapons they use, and uh, and the the flow of the game is as you progress through dungeon floors, you can warp back up to the surface to uh, bring back um, things that you find uh, throughout your runs. If you die in the dungeon, you'll lose a, spot, a certain portion of them when you come back up. Um, and then, like the space camp is basically where you kind of forge new materials to forge new weapons, um, gather new or have the other people. Back at base camp, gather like um, crops um, to make dishes that are like temporary buffs uh, for you that you can uh, consume when you take off in your next run in the dungeon. And, like, and then there are certain like campfire checkpoints in the dungeon too, so you can like just immediately warp to them um, when uh, so you don't have to like start over from the beginning. Um, and then like usually the the each biome of the dungeon gets longer and longer till the boss so like the first one you have to go through 10 floors the next one you have to go through 12 floors then then the next one you takes like 16 uh floors and then like the very final one in the story like takes a while it that, that it has you go almost go through like 30 floors before you get to like the the um boss there and it's a very simplistic but taxing um uh action rpg it's like there's it's not very there's not a lot of like go, things going on in combat it's an isometric view you have your basic attack and then you have you have up to three skills um uh, on your character and then as you level up you gain more skill points once you reach level 15 with a with a person to unlock their second jo- uh, job well like they'll unlock their first job so like for example if you're archer once you reach level 15 you'll get the bombardier class um and then the second job that they can unlock is like not like it's very far in. Like I haven't even unlocked the second job class even by beating the main game. It's like a, I think it's like a post post game unlock. You have to go through it. Like I don't know. I don't know why it takes so long to unlock the second job class. To be honest, um, but uh, as you unlock the you know your other job, you can mix and match abilities from each class. So like for my archer or bombardier, I can have you know uh, uh, skills from the archer class and the bombardier class uh, on my bar for skills and as you as you're going through the the dungeon you'll gain uh, loot not only for your class but for the other um characters as well so if you want to swap uh, swap to them they might already have like upgraded gear to make progression easier for them because you know you maybe you just want to level them up to unlock their class and then mess with them um so chances are you probably have already like rated loot for them for them to use to uh, progress easier and do more damage to enemies all that sort of stuff. You uh, throughout the your dungeon runs, you can swap to a uh, different character through like these like crystal node uh, crystal nodes that like you can either use them to return to base camp or switch to another character. And if you switch to another character, they'll get um, like a damage bonus, like a multiplier, to incentivize you to uh, switch characters. But each character uh, has to be leveled up individually. So as level up with one character it's applied to everyone it's like no everyone starts at level up level one and then you have to 
individually level them up uh, and so forth. So if if you want to, you you can go my route, which is I just stuck with one character throughout <laughs> my playthrough. <laughs> or you could probably be a, maybe a sane person and be like, maybe I want to try like two or three different characters and like main them, and then try to switch between them, blah, you know, consistently. I guess it sort of depends on how. Because I would probably do what you did and just uh, I'll just stick to my favorite and get used to them and play with them. And since <laughs> since they level up individually, it's like, well, I'm just being efficient. I'm dumping all my EXP into one character. But like, I guess if that buff that you get for changing characters is really worth it, maybe it's useful to have like two. Yeah, or maybe. Switch between yeah. these two characters and get that, that small buff when I switch from one to the other, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, I I I like my I main the archer to bombardier because like they they I have two classes from the two skills from the bombardier class and one from the archer that like really synergize well with each other because um they're one of the bombardier skills is hey I'm gonna fire off a bomb that does a uh, that fires off an AOE stun at my target and then its other second skill I have is called bomb rain which they fire a, a, a cluster of bombs into the sky. And it'll fire like some some far far to some faraway enemy to do more uh, AOE stuns, and then the 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 spread shot from the archer class fires off like you know five arrows at once in front of you, so you can kind of use it like a shotgun to do a lot of damage. So you can effectively kind of almost chain stun enemies while doing a lot of like damage to up close enemies. And I'm like, yeah, this feels good. <laughs> you know? So. But I mean, there's no right answer. Obviously, you, you, people can find you know whatever playstyle and class suits them, and you know they'll they'll, they'll find. Uh, there's no right answer on like what class you should play. It's whatever you have fun with. Um, and uh, as you're progressing through the dungeon, the since the story is, it the whole story, like I said, revolves around hey, you, the the people that are left in the world have lost their ability to speak. The only one. The only speech you can hear in the game is through this princess that's like uh, imprisoned, not imprisoned, but like she's like stuck in this like crystal teardrop, um, like manifestation that like that, that she imprisoned herself in because of her. She cried so much at like what happened to the world that like she made like a prison out of her tears, pretty much, and she can t- communicate telepathically to like the seven heroes that you play as, and so most of the time. Um, well, all the time as you're going through the main story, the only words you hear are from the princess. Everything else is like kind of like your standard battle grunts from your characters. And then the story is told of like what happened here is told on these like stone tablets uh, that you walk up to after like every boss, and it'll give you like a not a summary, but like um, it'll give you a description of like what happened to this kingdom and like why. why why did it meet its downfall? And it kind of tells you, like, a, you know, a text story of, like, you know, events that happened that eventually led it to, like, why things became the way that they are. Um, and it's a pretty standard story. It's not, like, it's not, there's no, not really big surprises. It's kind of your standard, you know, you've, you've seen the story before. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, my guess, so, my guess mm-hmm. is that someone in the kingdom was messing with like some sort of divine power that they shouldn't have, and it backfired. That's my guess. I will not confirm or deny <laughs> uh, whether you're uh, you're right or wrong. For people who really want to soak in the story, um, and uh, it's it's like a, it's by design. It's like inherently very repetitive, and that's like the the biggest downside of the game. It's because 
because of these roguelike elements of like doing runs, like a, a lot of the time, um, you're kind of going through these only dungeon layouts, but they have they have different environments as you're going through them. So one will be like a volcano area until you beat the boss, and after you beat the boss, you go into the, the snow biome. So it'll have like a different environment. There'll be like some gimmicks to the environment. Like for one of them, there might be like explode like uh, like uh, places like. Spots on the floor that are like, uh, will spew like hot lava, uh, era, you know, every few seconds. And then another one might have like, like the snow biome has like these snowballs that like will roll towards you once they see you. They're like sentient snowballs, um, that will start rolling towards you when they see you. Or like another one might have like these cannons that fire at you if you press a button on the, on the floor. And, and and like I guess the one neat thing is like the environment can be work uh, can be used against your enemy too. So like those cannons, for example, you can actually like kite enemies towards the cannons, then press the cannons uh, button, fire the cannons, and then like any like those those cannonball projectiles will also hurt enemies, not just you. So you can work the you can kind of manipulate the environment uh, to to help you out in it. But other than that, it's it's very much standard. Hey, progress through a floor. Um, pick up what you see, treasure chests, crops. Um, there'll be sometimes, like, these, like, mirror gates that, like, you can go through them and they're, like, harder... There's, like, tougher enemies in the in there that have, like, more HP, do more damage. Um, but once you go through them, you'll be rewarded with some treasure chests, with some, like, some good loot. And then, the nice thing about this, after you warp out of those those mirror gates, they'll, they'll automatically take you to the, to the end of the floor, so you don't have to go back and explore the floor again if you just want to get to the next floor ASAP, like going through like just traversing through those mirror gates will send you automatically to like to the exit of that floor to proceed proceed on. And that's like pretty much the game in a nutshell. There's not a lot to like say about it. It's a pretty simplistic premise. It everything's, you know, laid out pretty intuitively. Um you can as as you're progressing through the dungeon all all the tasks that you gave to your uh, people at, at back at your base camp, whether it's like, um, like making new materials to make new weapons or farming, all of those are done like on a timer, uh, based on like how much you progress the dungeon. They, you can you you can consume materials to like instantly make them or gather them if you need them right away. Um, but most of the time they'll they'll passively get done as you're progressing, uh, through your dungeon run. Yeah, that's that's. Pretty much the game in a nutshell. How like the long bosses. Did you say this game was. It was about ten to twelve hours. Okay, so that's actually quite short. Yeah, it's pretty short. To, to, to be like, fair, though. To be fair, though, it's not a full price game. Yeah, it's like thirty five dollars. I think. Okay. I it, it's forty dollars. It was like a ten percent discount oh, right. at launch, I believe. Okay. So it's like yeah. it's yeah. it's not a full price game. I, I think it sounds like for the it's price, like, it's yeah. Yeah, it, it, like I said, it's like it's like, it's like kind of like if you're looking for like something like more a smaller scale, more cozy, more comfy. It it it, it gives you that. Like I, like I don't I don't dislike the game. I think it's just a very okay game. It's nothing. It's nothing like amazing. It's nothing awful or bad. It's like I just think it's it's you know it's okay. It's all right, and I, I'm I'm okay with like playing more of these smaller scope like you know games that like are just are just like you know fun to play in like short bursts. You know, I, I don't play this for hours and hours on end. I like maybe play for like. You know, two, two, two and a half hours every time, and then you know, and then come back like the next day and I'll play through it. Um, so that's you know, but you know, there's a, there's enough of like 
you can you you definitely feel more powerful as you get uh, better loot. Like they're like you know loot will have rarities and ranks, and like you get better uh, loot as the, the further on you're you're in. And then some of them will have like gem slots that you can slot in gems uh, to like further boost their strength or like uh, like have faster cooldowns for your skill or dodge, um, get more HP, um, uh, increase the attack of your or the strength of your skills. Like there's like different you know RP your typical action rpg element modifiers on loot is there too so you know you, you can definitely there's a level of customization that's like you know it's not like super in-depth but it's enough you know to to get you by and make you uh feel like that you're like sort of working towards like a build that you like you want to um strategize around like for example like in my stun build like i i obviously i want like i want to reduce these uh skill cooldowns so like i have uh the time in between my stuns is shorter and shorter and so forth but you can definitely go for like hey if you want if you want like a thorns build like you know there's definitely some equipment that have like high damage reflect modifiers like plus 350 percent so if you want like if any if any enemies like you know damage you they'll get a whole bunch of damage back um and you can like you know up your defense as well through some of these modifiers so you can definitely you know could work towards like a tanky thorns build if you wanted to and so forth um and yeah i, I mean so there's like small stuff small stuff like that but other than that it's a very simplistic game there's not like a ton to really like talk about with it and that's kind of the game in a nutshell <laughs> if they have any questions i feel feel free to ask but that's that's kind of the game all right, great. No yeah, questions. I don't have any questions. Yeah. I might there check it go. out just because it is, you know, like uh, 10 hours, 15 hours. That's yeah. doable. Just yep. checking. And I'm, and I, am moderately interested in, I am moderately interested in just, you know, sort of a, you know, a character building kind of game in terms of, you know, classes and skills and modifiers yeah. and equipment. So why not? Yeah. So it's all right. Um, so yeah, that's uh, so side of the. Do I have to play this to understand Rune Factory Five or? or yes, six? absolutely. Factory you, you Rune that, Factory. Uh, what was the other one? Project Dragon. There's that spin-off yes. I announced. I forget what it's called. <laughs> I I will just say yes. Uh, okay. So I am well prepared for all all future Rune Factory projects now. Um, it does. Uh, I, I will say that I, I would say how they did it, but the way that they did end credits in this game is kind of neat. I appreciate like small touches like that, but I, I'll, I'll leave that to for people to. Uh, find out on how they did it but it's, it's kind of a neat touch um but yeah and, and there's post-game stuff and kind of you know the, the, uh, maybe i'll dive into post-game maybe not we'll see but i, I do want to unlock this the, the other class so i probably will do it because i want to see the, the rest of like, my options there so i guess there there is some replay value you know if you want to definitely see everything that the game has to offer you know you definitely have to play with all the characters level them up and get access to their other classes and see what you can do with them so there's definitely if you get into like if you get into it there's definitely some stuff to chew on in terms of like character building all of them um yeah that, this was between like this and this guy of seven because this guy of seven came out um earlier this week and i was like i oh, should i get this guy of seven should i get this game i decided to go with this game first but i'll circle back around to this guy of seven when i get the time but I hear, you know, good things about this guy of seven too through word of mouth from uh friends and reviews that I've gone out. 
Yeah, everything I've heard about the Sky 7 is that they've uh, succeeded in, uh, oh God, we're sorry for the Sky 6. Here's here's one that everyone likes. <laughs> so, so good to see. I definitely want to play it. Uh, moving on then, uh, Adam, so here here's your chats. Let's talk. Let's hear about three. That again. Let's hear about Crystar in the year 2023. <laughs> okay. Yeah, you cut out for a bit. Anyways. Okay. Yeah, so so coming up at the end of this month is Cry Machina from NIS America, and I believe it's being developed by Aquia, who they're more known for, like, um, I think they made the first Caligula effect, and they've done a bunch of the uh, Sword Art Online games. Um, I believe even um, the newest Sword Art Online game. I'm not, wrong, I'm not confident on that, though. But anyways, um, so with... With Cry Machina coming out this month, I was just thinking, you know what? I never played Crystar. Now, Crystar came out, like you said, I think in 2019, a couple of years ago. Uh, that was developed by Gem Drops. And um, as far as we know, when, when Cry Machina was first announced, we were like, oh, it's a sequel or it's a spinoff or a follow-up of some sort. Because it has like a similar art style and a similar name. And they're both uh, kind of produced by Furyu. Uh, which, if you're not familiar, they kind of do a lot of these sort of um, small-budget Japanese RPG games, and they, they reach out to a bunch of different small developers to create them. Um, so at first we thought, oh, there's going to be some connection between these games, and then when Cry Machina released, it came out in Japan, and it seems like there's no real connection, as far as I'm aware, other than maybe like a similar aesthetic. Um, I still was just like, you know what? I've played most Furyu games. I think I still have to find one that I really actually like. <laughs> um, so maybe Crystar yeah, is that one. Uh, spoiler alert: It's not. Um, I, and Crystar is not too long. I heard it's like twenty, twenty-five hours. And like, okay, I can play this. Why not? Check it out. Um, Lucas reviewed this for us uh, back when it released, and he was not a big fan, uh, really at all. I think he gave it a five out of ten. And I agree. I honestly find this game is kind of dreadful. And so, what Cry Machina is? It's an action RPG, kind of like a mini dungeon crawler where I'll get to the premise later, but you basically can control one of four characters um, through these sorts of very sterile type dungeons. It literally just kind of like walkway paths with kind of mini rooms along the path where you fight the same enemies over and over and over again. The enemy variety is really lacking. And what it actually sort of reminds me of, I don't know if this makes sense, but it kind of reminds me of a game like Tokyo Xanadu, only much lower budget. <laughs> And not that Tokyo Xanadu had a huge budget to begin with. Um, where it's just, it's kind of like a simple action RPG, um, kind of repetitive. You get your, you get a light attack and a heavy attack and like four different skills you can use. So, you know, it's not broken, but it's really nothing barely above competent. It's just like, okay, there's like this really simple action RPG system here. And you basically fuse, you collect items from the dungeons and from enemy drops, and you basically just kind of fuse them up to make more powerful weapons and more powerful armor to raise your attack and defense. But there's really not a whole lot of thought put into it. There's no like, there's very little in terms of like, oh, I want to build a character a certain way. It sounds like even less so than Silent Hope. It's just like, oh, fuse these pieces together to make my attack stronger or my defense higher. And there's really just not a lot to it. So in terms of gameplay components, it's very basic. It's not broken, but it's just there's nothing to latch onto. The premise of the game is the place where it may, 
you know, it may, you may have some affinity towards it if it's your sort of, your sort of thing. So again, this is an older game. By older, I mean like four years old. So you maybe have heard this before, but you play the main character's name is Ray and your sister has passed away, Mirai, and you go to a sort of a, uh, an afterlife sort of place called Purgatory in order to basically revive Mirai. And you do that by collecting the souls of revenants and other specters in this place. And then there's a story that kind of follows from there in terms of what actually happened to Mirai, what happened to the other characters you meet and why they're in Purgatory, and who's kind of like the, the who's basically behind these deaths and things like that. And I'd be lying to say if there wasn't a modicum of, you know, some interesting things that happen, but it's just not enough. And this game, this, this game, once you clear it, once you hit, I should say, once you hit the credits of it for the first time, it's, it barely feels like an ending because it's not, it pulls a Braley default, which you may have heard of. Where you I love that, just like that's a term now. Yeah, it it, it's one of those default. things like if you know, you know. It pulls a bravely default, where you pretty much have to replay the back half of the game four times to get the actual ending, and that's actually where I'm at right now. I have gotten to the credits twice. I'm on my. Was that Yoko Taro thing? <laughs> well, it's not even like like a, like the near games. Like the credits are almost just like mid game, almost. I guess you sort of have to replay like two B's route or whatnot, or not two B. Um, uh, 9S, 9S. And, uh, but it just in this case it's really just kind of like you get to the credits and then it kind of just shunts you back to the beginning of the game and then it kind of shunts you back to the middle of the game and then you just replay the back half of the game I guess four times and like with Bravely Default there is a purpose to it obviously it's not like they just do it for no reason and there are new scenes and you get more um, context of what happens and whatnot. But I guess the ultimate question is, is, is this worth it to have to kind of just like replay these sections? Because the actual gameplay itself doesn't change. You literally just play through the same part of the game four times over. And I'm on my third playthrough. Like, oh, I got one more to go after this one. Um, is, is there any like difference? Like, no, I mean, there's, there are, like, there's different boss varieties? Uh, at the end of the game, there might be a different boss. There was last time. Um, but the actual like levels that you go through and whatnot... And obviously the combat system is the same as it always is. There's it, there's no difference. So it's like you basically would play through this section of the game to see the new scenes and like the different takes on scene and, and things like that. And like I said, it's not like it's totally it's not like it's totally garbage in terms of like okay, I see what they're I, I do see what they're doing here. I see what they're going for. It's just I don't know if this is worth it, especially when the gameplay is as basic as it is. So. It's a really hard recommendation, um, other than the fact that even with this rerunning the game, I think I'm like 18 hours into the game or something like that. And the game itself, I heard, not including post-game and whatnot, is like 20, 25. Like, okay, it's not that long a game RPG-wise, even with these reruns, but it is just kind of, it is tedious. Uh, I'm I'm literally watching like YouTube videos or listening to other podcasts as I'm playing through the game because I need something to actually like entertain me while I play my entertainment. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of the that's kind of my takeaway. I don't really know how it concludes yet, but I I I don't think 
I don't, it'll be so a surprise if I come away from this saying like, oh yeah, that was totally the right decision. That was completely worth it. I doubt it. Uh, uh, I, I'm still in the boat that Bravely Default ruined Bravely Default. The, the one <laughs> no. thing about Bravely Default's reruns that I kind of like, they're they're optional. You don't even need to do them. Is that it's the boss those, rush? Exactly. Those new that he basically combines the different asterisk holders to like different combinations. But 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 hold but, on, Adam. If you played the imported Japanese version before it released in America, they didn't have those oh, yeah. different boss variations. <laughs> I played that version, and that version also didn't have fast forward, so oh, you can't yeah. just skip through the oh, shit that oh. you hate it. And it didn't, didn't, and, didn't that version not even have uh, um, the encounter removal? Because that was yes. added later too. That was added later too. Yeah. So because later on, they, they did a survey. They asked, "How come only like five percent of our players actually finished this game?" And they all seem to <laughs> stuck on chapter seven. Moral you of the know? story is: moral of the story is is that uh, when you see how long it takes for some games to be localized, consider that maybe the wait might be worth it. <laughs> so maybe. yeah. Yeah. You know, I don't think it was, I was able to finish perfectly Default without those quality of life improvements made for the Western release. So. I remember in not. Japan, sort of funny, they called that Bravely Default re-release for the sequel. Yeah, quality of yeah. life made for the sequel. <laughs> and, Get it? and then I guess the sequel is Bravely Second, which I think was okay. It had some some good, some bad, but I don't I don't think it really worked out. But um, it feels like a lot of people were more more fond of the original, anyways. But yeah, Crystar, it's. I'm still looking for that first Fuyu game. I can say yes, I really like this one. Crystar's <laughs> not it. Uh, maybe Cry Machina will be it. I'm trying to think. Legend of Legacy HD remixed. <laughs> I played the original version of that, and I think it's <laughs> fine. I, I think I'd rather take that than. Been repeating the same crap over for you know, like for fifteen hours. Okay, the last thing I'll say about Crystar is basically what the story, like the thing that really has any. I don't, I don't think the gameplay is it. The thing that has any chance to possibly hook you is like you learn about all four characters um, have sort of like a death related to their character. And you kind of learn there's like a mystery involved that like, okay, these are not just four separate events. There's some connective tissue there. And you sort of slowly learn that over time. So there is that sort of like mystery reveal kind of element to it. But that's about it. Um, so, yeah, that's the game. Um, now, based on what I've seen with Cry Machina, again, maybe not even related, just similar art style, similar name. It seems to have a little bit more involved, more involved combat. Um, so I will say I did you play it, some right? of Cry. Yeah. yeah, I played a bit of uh, Cry Machina at uh, on Ask America's HQ in June. Yeah, June, and uh, at least the bit I played was like, oh, this feels really good, like surprisingly good. Like I, I, I want to play it if nothing else than to see if the combat holds up throughout the whole thing. Because like first impression was like, man, this is probably one of the best like action combat systems I played in a game that's not like Platinum Games. So. Get excited, Adam. I'm trying to remember. I'm trying to remember. So this game was developed by Gem Drops. Didn't they come out with something more recently? Oh, they're they're doing the Star Ocean remaster. Oh, okay. So there you go. The Crystar, developed by Gem Drops, is also making the Star Ocean second story R. I forgot about that. Obviously, with a totally different production side of things, with uh, Square Enix instead of uh, Buryu. But I, I remember Gem Drops sounding familiar. Like, where did I hear that recently? Oh yeah, <laughs> Star Ocean. Okay. You're gonna you're gonna be able to summon Cry Machina characters in Star Ocean. They also did uh, 
They, I'm looking at uh, gem drops. They also did uh, Kazuna AI Touch the Beat. I don't even oh. know what that is. I assume that's some rhythm <laughs> like, game with the uh, compile heart uh, yeah. VTuber. <laughs> yeah, some, some, yeah. Okay. Okay, sure. All right. So now, so yeah, Cry Machina is being made by Acrea, who made, uh, they looks like they did make this, the, the new Sword Art Online game that actually just came out last week. Did anyone play that? Uh, my friend is playing it. Uh, the, the, I think it recently came out this week, but the demo came out like last oh, week or something. Okay. I, I I watched them stream a little bit of it. I'm like, yep, that's SAO, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I, I look. I don't know much. I know some people like those games like yeah. legitimately more so than yeah. just the Star Sword Sword Art Online, uh, you know, license. But yeah, I I had I don't know enough to to comment what I saw. <laughs> okay. I just I was like I was just oh. like yes, that is a, a definitely is SAO game. characters, and that is definitely a, a game. I, okay, I can full disclosure, yeah. guys. We at RPG site we try to review. We try to be pretty comprehensive in our reviews in terms of like. RPGs, JRPGs, Western RPGs, indie stuff, but like just no one on our team wanted to review Sword Art. Sword Art. So that, I mean, yeah, that's like consistent, right? Like, like, like yeah, no. you guys, you just you need to understand. <laughs> this year has been yeah. not a hellscape because that would imply. Well, there's been so many RPGs this year. So right. many RPGs. There's been <laughs> stuff that we've like absolutely missed, and it looks like it's not going to slow down because Look, next year is looking like it's going to be possibly even worse. Yeah. So you're saying if they release a new SAO game next year, no shotting. <laughs> so Look, I mean, some, some well, well, I, I can't speak for everyone here, but I wouldn't review it. We're, 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 look, we, we're never gonna uh, get the SAO fans on our side, no matter how much you. Uh, don't them. worry, we can always recruit a SAO expert. Oh so yeah, we'll get one one day. Oh, are, are you are, are you doing like an open recruitment on our on our podcast episode? Charles, like if you're into SAO, definitely. <laughs> actually, on that note, um, Alex, <laughs> our boss and founder of the site, actually did put out another recruitment. Uh, there you yeah, go. yeah, and and I and I do know that some people have actually asked me to like. Give give them a good word for uh, to Alex. So it's like it happens. It happens. So that's how James got. Uh, like to, to be honest, well, like James was, that. Yeah. What literally happened was is that uh, so so I um Josh Chow and I all were in the same server, and it was like I was talking about how I did coverage for games on a different site, and. Josh noticed that I had at the time a Yon could like icon for like my discord profile. And then we met each other at anime expo. And then that was that. And basically it's like, Hey, yeah, like, you know, I can definitely put in a good word for you. Like, and then, um, you know, talk to Alex about it. Like we, it's, it's literally because like, yeah, because we met at a discord server and I got to speak with James at anime expo about like, here's like, you no, know, I basically just, thank God he's not a, thank God he's not a weirdo. <laughs> Yeah, I basically gave the loadout of like, okay, this is kind of like where, where we want to go, like with the site and with the Monster Hunter world and stuff. So it's literally, it's literally just like, a, a, like honestly, stars aligning, a bit of luck, but also like show like an earnest, like you know, passion about what you're into, which is yeah. sometimes that's kind of what you need as well. Just like to, to don't be, I don't know, be real about what you like, and you will get noticed. And that's also with Chow too, like uh, like same thing because I I I knew Chow from like hey I used to read his guides over at Gamefax 
he makes really good guides. Oh, that's how he got shot. I like how they're just basically doing like a guy that's just like, this is how he got uh, the people on this podcast into the site. <laughs> I know. But, and it's also, you know, how I got Kite kind of roped in as well into the site. It's like, you know, this guy's really good at Japanese translations. Maybe it's time for you to recruit your friend who's a. SAO expert. Uh-oh. <laughs> I'm thinking about it. I'm dying and laughing. I uh he's fine. He's doing well. <laughs> um yeah, so that is I don't know, that kind of weird <laughs> a weird tangent, but I hope people liked it and definitely, you know, hey, honestly, um it, it like, you know, just reach out, I guess, to, to to us. Like if you're really if you're interested in writing for the site, obviously Submit an application, email, and stuff like that. But also, it's it's it's, 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 it's not it's nice to like have like a body or work somewhere, like have up like portfolio or like a sample, like right? Because like awesome. I, I, I like like that that's what really helps. Like I knew Chow because of his portfolio. I knew Kite because of what he does and other stuff. I knew James because like I've seen his other stuff. Like a like some samples are a body of work, and like and you're and you're being genuine and real about what you like. Also, very important, maybe the most important thing, if you're going to be reaching out about like trying to like write for us, do not send us a DM to the site's Twitter account. Oh, that, do that does not work. <laughs> don't do that. Yeah. E- email. Email, email, email. Email, email, or reach out to Alex through his, either his, his email or through his Discord. One yeah. or the other. Just yeah. don't. The site's, Honestly, the site's the, Twitter the, uh, has too has too much, and we don't know how much longer Twitter is going to be around yeah, anyway. With, so with like, TweetDeck now being gimped and dead, and the gimped version being behind a paywall, like it's much harder actually for me to even see what people like mention us or message message us on on Twitter. So it yeah. might never be seen. Yeah. So there you go. That's the 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 real inside baseball <laughs> story. Um. So other than that, so those are the games we've been playing, and they do have a few uh, features up on the site that came out this week. One was uh, recently put out by uh, Paul. Uh, oh God, what's his? How do you pronounce his last name? Shelley. Yes, thank you, Paul Shelley. Uh, uh, talking about how Sailor Moon introduced him to fan translations, and that this is like a good like feature talking about the SNES Sailor Moon turn-based RPG. There's like Sailor Moon, another story, and you know that. Game released in 1995 on my birthday, September 22nd, uh, in Japan, and then through fan translations that became widely more popular, like overseas. So he gets to you know talk about you know his time with the Sailor Moon. Yeah, this, uh, this, this, my, favorite, my favorite line of his in his uh-huh. uh, article. So I gather that this had a, this has had a fan translation for a long time. It's got a more recent one that might be more accurate or whatever, but it had a fan translation back maybe even in the late 90s, early 2000s, like a long time ago. And um, my favorite line of his in the... Uh, and he says, you know, he was younger at the time when he did this. Uh, my tween-age foray into emulation at this point was for games I already owned and played in English. The concept of playing a game that was in English, despite never co- coming out in America, made me feel like I was in on, in on a little secret. You never heard of this game? That's right. It's actually never been released in this whole country, I imagine, telling my friends who never asked. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. a great that's a great sentence. That's yeah. a great one. Yeah, yeah, that's fucking relatable. So like yeah. so yeah, this was and he's he even he even makes this article sort of like 
I have no idea who who manages this license, which I guess it would be Toei, uh, and who would be, who would even be in charge of this. But it would be nice if this game got a re-release. That's what he he's he's, he's yeah, he's that, advocating that, for a re-release. That's that's kind of like a, that that line of thinking is kind of the pathway of how the System Shock remake got made. To be honest, <laughs> because like there's one very passionate fan about System Shock that like really went into it and like got that remake um, kind of kick started. So it, it's a really fascinating story. Of, uh, people search it up on how that came to be. That whole project came to be. Like even tracking down like who owns System the System Shock IP these days and so forth. So yeah, and and I do agree. That, like I kind of hope that more of these, like kind of really like cool like like nineties RP uh, JRPGs, uh, kind of get a revival like Live Alive did as well. That'd be that'd be great, right? But it'd be also really tough because the whole licensing behind it as well, unfortunately. No, but I'm not there a was big a time... Sailor Moon fan. I'm not a big Sailor Moon fan, but I just kind of like the the style of this game. That yeah. Super Nintendo pixel art graphics. I'll always have I, I probably played everything that was possible during that those days because I would emulate everything. <laughs> and if there's a fan patch, I had to play it. I actually beat a lot of video games doing that. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of games that was on release. I think that was like my first experience was Final Fantasy V. I think that's like one of the earliest English fan Actually, patch actually, he mentioned Final Fantasy V also. Paul did in an oh. article. Well, so, yeah, I, 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 mean, like, I mean, like, I, I, was not, I just like seeing. Cool anime licensed turn-based RPGs. So cool as in not fairy tale, but cool as in One Sailor piece. Moon. <laughs> yeah. That would be. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know anything about Odyssey to be honest. After it came out, <laughs> all I know is like you. They were lying when they said you didn't have to know anything about One Piece to get into this. That's all I remember. Um, uh, other than that, we ha- also have uh, impressions of the digital console uh, versions of Gloomhaven by Scott White, saying that they like you know if you find like the actual Gloomhaven like board game like intimidating, the digital versions are you know definitely more consumable, uh, a more consumable format for Gloomhaven. So this is kind of this, um, this basically like identical content to the PC version. Um, you get like the main campaign and the brand new hundred quest guild master mode, uh, which is uh, interestingly enough, is exclusive to the Gloomhaven uh, digital uh, version. So interesting enough, we also have um, a feature by James about uh, FF14 got got uh, a new patch, I believe. Yeah. Then, so I'm still, bought- yeah, I'm still going to be putting out like an. an- like a proper impressions of the patch, but I uh, felt compelled to do something a little bit uh, different. Got the approval from Alex. They made a, uh, they made a bah- Bahamut amount. Uh, yes. So basically bit of uh, context. Uh, one of the things that 14's done basically ever since Rome born is that every expansion has a set of mounts that you get for clearing the, well, you can get from clearing the extreme trials or random drops. So you might want to grind them out. It's like another reason to do them uh, for a realm reborn. You got horses for uh heaven's word. You got birds Stormblood, You got wolves and uh Shadowbringers, You got these like dragon things. Uh, it's also been consistent where the, if, if you got all of the trial mounts, you would get, a special quest to get like an ultimate mount for that expansion. 
which was up until now corresponding to the types of mounts that you were getting in the trials. You got like a golden Kieran in uh realm reborn. You got a Phoenix in heaven's word. So like horse, get a Kieran birds, get a Phoenix. Uh, you got a nine tails Fox in Stormblood, which not one to one, but wolves to a nine tailed Fox and uh Shadowbringers, You got this mecha dragon. So like regular dragons to a mecha dragon. Very obvious uh, through line. Uh, Endwalker's trial mounts up until now have been these sort of winged like cats, these lynxes. And uh, you would think, and most players were assuming, that the final mount that you would get for getting all of the lynxes would be some sort of giant cat. Some like king of the cats, something interesting. Maybe it would be like uh, a mount version of this like one fate boss from Heaven's Word that people mm. really liked. Uh this was announced a few months ago that, no, that's not the case. Instead, the mount that you get for getting all the lynxes is a completely unrelated uh, Final Fantasy IV Bahamut. <laughs> I feel the problem right now is the all the new content is kind of like a circle jerk to Final Fantasy IV a little bit too much. Well, yeah, it's like one of those things, and I even say in the article, like, I don't know if it's, like, actually been something, like, intentional, like, in previous expansions. It's like, oh, no, the final match you get has to be, like kind of like related to the mounts to get in the trials or not. And I don't know, maybe they just thought like immediately, Oh, we're going to make the ultimate mount for Endwalker's trials be Bahamut. And then like working backwards, it's like, uh, we don't know what to do. It's kind of like get this across. Ah, fuck it. We'll do lynxes. I don't know what it was, but personally, and I've definitely seen the sentiment from other people. I wanted a big cat, man. <laughs> I uh, wanted yeah. a big cat mount. I'm sure anybody wants a big cat. That's that's that we, we, all, we all feel that now that you put it like that. Yeah. But it's, instead instead you get the you get the creature that destroyed 1.0 as your mount yeah. now. Yeah. It's it's just one of those silly little features, not anything serious. Just figured yeah. it, it was it, it was just a takeaway I had from the patch and I have definitely seen some people again kind of relate. Uh overall, uh, again, I'll probably put up my impressions of the the patch uh maybe this maybe tomorrow, maybe tomorrow, but overall, I mean 6.5 has been a good patch. I know some people still don't like uh, the support that Mwalker's gotten post-launch, and I get it. I think that it's a bit of a balancing act because uh, a lot of what they've been doing has been like kind of like laying the groundwork and like quality of life features. And I don't know if people realize how much work that takes. So I, I don't know. I don't know. I feel like uh, it, it's going to be interesting to write about like uh, 6.5, especially considering it's the last major patch for Endwalker and like kind of looking at the support that Endwalker's received as a whole. Is, is the is the next like content uh, update for this game going to be Dawn Trail or what? Uh, the no, there's okay. part two of six point five, which is coming out at um, basically early next year, I think, or something like that. Uh, but uh, it's not going to be like any major content. It's going to be like a like an hour or two of main story and a duty, and that's basically it. So. Okay. Okay, well, the, the, the road to Dawn Trail uh, goes on. Uh, we put up a really interesting feature. We had a, uh, an interview with uh, Albert Cao from Anaplex of America about the upcoming Western localization of Tsukihime, a piece of blue glass moon. And uh, a lot of the interview is talking about like you know how to preserve uh, the original author's, uh, Kenoko Nasu's uh, vision, uh, you know, when uh, localizing his script, uh, you know, for what are like the 
biggest, most like most revered visual novels of all time. Uh, really, uh, so finally, Western release. So like this will be technically, you know, like the the first like official time Tsukihime will be in English, you know, from an official source. Yep. In the West. So this uh, this actually got like a surprising amount of traction uh, from the community and the response to it. Um, a, a, a lot of eyes are like on this project because you know a lot of people hold Tsukihime uh, near and dear to them. So and I think a lot of people um, you know are are hoping that it uh, manages to uh, not uh, to, to avoid the pitfalls that the Witch on the Holy Night uh, Western localization had, where. You know the the from what I heard behind the scenes, it did it had like kind of like a rough time behind the scenes in terms of like crunch and like uh, in terms of like how the editing process went and a lot of like revisions, kind of last minute sort of stuff. And uh, so like I think a lot of people are crossing their fingers like, hey, hopefully that doesn't happen with Tsukihime on here. Um, like, uh, well, what did you think about uh, his responses, uh, James? I think it's 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 kind of tough when you're dealing with a company that's kind of like notably as uh, maybe not from what I know, mm-hmm. Anaplex in general is a is a bit of a tough uh, company to like uh, squeeze any sort of like uh, conversation out of. So the fact we even got this in the first place is, I'd say, notable. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd say that I would have hoped for maybe a bit more like a, a specific uh, specificity with. Uh, the responses but i do think overall was it was it was still cool to cool to see that we got got any at all yeah yeah so you know uh it's uh sugihime's western localization uh it's coming out sometime next year still uh no specific uh date on that yet uh coming to playstation and switch uh as far as we know for right and you know we'll see what the what their next update's gonna be for the west hopefully release date uh, moving on to news, once again, not a lot of news here, but we did get an info blast from an unlikely uh, source here. Um, so earlier this week, there was a, uh, an announcement of uh, the restructure to the uh, management of CompileHeart. Uh, starting this month on October 1st, uh, Naoto Tominaga is now CompileHeart's president, and Hikaru Yasui, who was originally at Sting, uh, as a producer there is now uh, the company's director and along with this announcement uh, of this um, shakeup in management uh, and compile heart they basically announced a shit ton of games a we're lot of them are games. A, we're getting a new Mado Mar- uh, Monogatari and the first time in like what 20 years it's a, it's 25 been, yeah it's a very long time so yeah we're just gonna go through it in order here uh, they announced a few non-RPGs here and there but I of, of course we we were highlighting the RPGs here. So the first one that they spoke about was this uh, brand new RPG titled Todokero Tatakae Calamity Angels. Uh, this is a delivery-themed or delivery-based RPG where you're basically, uh, your main character is like a courier, it looks like, from the character design, and you're going to be doing like RPG activities along the way as you make your deliveries. Um, the, the character designer is... Uh, Kei Nanameda, who uh, worked on Mugen Souls and the Mary Sculptor series. Um, it's, it's, it's aiming for a more like comedic slapstick comedy type of feel uh, throughout the game, so that's what they wanted to focus on the art direction. And they, they already said, hey, this is coming out next summer in Japan for PS5, PS4, 
uh, and Switch. And then it'll also be getting uh, a PC release via Steam at a later time as well. So once again, these are all announced for Japan. There is nothing, no, nothing has been officially announced for Western um, release yet. I assume some of these will be coming to the West because usually Compile Heart games have a fairly decent track record when uh, for coming out in the West. So we'll see that. So this kind of, this kind of the game that got kind of the most like visuals, not 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 any like new in-game shots or anything of it, but a lot of uh, artwork for this, and it's it's very uh, it has a really nice uh, vibe to it. I'd say very very energetic, very lively in the the designs that they're show, they've shown off for this. So that's um, I want to see how this game works. The, the, it sounds fun on paper. <laughs> I, I do, I do kind of like uh, what they're trying to go for here, but I want to see how they pull off the execution. Um, the next one that they uh, shared is uh, Toho Spell Carnival. This is an interesting one. This is a new tactical RPG that's being developed with Sting. <laughs> um, and then uh, Katsuyuki Hirano is in charge of the title's character designs. He uh, previously worked on Gun Gun Pixies and the recent Neptunia Sisters vs. Sisters uh, game. Um, this is the, even though it's like a tactical RPG, the battles progress in real time. They're trying to like oh, so it's more like an SRPG. Interesting. Yeah, so it's like it's, it's they're kind of trying to um, combine like some of the the shmup aspects, like like bombs, into uh, this real time tactical RPG. So we'll see how that works out. It's um, it sounds like to me um, almost like the way that battles worked in 13 sentinels because oh, that yeah, yeah that would technically be not turn-based yeah yeah um but it's very interesting that uh like compile heart is working so much close like more closely with uh, sting even like having like their it's very interesting after how badly uh the most recent fairy fencer f bombed in japan which was yeah. developed by sting which like, yeah, you want, you to want be clear, you want the best for Sting because Sting is such a cool company. <laughs> yeah, which honestly really cool, and I do think it's kind of sad that the Fairy Fencer F game bombed. I reviewed it. It's like it's a good, it's like a good tactical RPG. It's not amazing, but it's like it didn't deserve to bomb that bad. <laughs> God. Yeah. Well, at least they're they're still working on more stuff. So, like, it, it was interesting because like uh, I I've heard from like from like people who like Toad like oh yeah they're really looking forward to this Toad Spell Carnival game. So I will say this though, um, Mm -hmm. all this, uh, all of this, uh, info about Sting working more closely with Compile Heart is Octopus just not returning their calls. What happened to Utsuaru Mono? That's a good question. (laughs) Good question. I saw Toho Spell Carnival. They're aiming to uh, release the next spring in Japan for multiple platforms, though they didn't provide any uh, specific platforms just yet for that. Uh, one of the biggest surprises out of this, but there's only for like it was a very niche, niche, niche like understanding. Like I had to do like some research on this too. Um, they're they're making a new Mado Monogatari game, and this uh, to, to put this into context, this is like the first proper follow up uh, since the original release of Mado Monogatari One Two Three. This is all one game that originally launched in June 1990 for the MSX Two. They they have separate yeah. remakes for different systems. Like yeah. you can get like a yeah. like a remake for PC Engine of one of the early yeah. games. And I so two things about this that are interesting. One, what you just said, it's like the first release in over thirty years. 
Uh, two, most people probably know Madame Monogatari characters, even if they don't realize it. Because if you've played or seen Puyo Puyo, then you know Madame Monogatari's characters. Because it was originally a spinoff of Madame Monogatari. Oh, yeah. And this is now like a collaboration with Sega yeah. because like Sega owns the characters now. <laughs> So yeah, it's so it's, very kind of, it's, it's kind of like weirdly like the spin like the spinoff is now like the one that's going to be like the the one that most people know, and it's like it was just it was actually part of like a central RPG series before. So yeah, like as Chao mentioned, like there were more recent model Monogatari games, but they were never really follow ups. They're more like re releases or remakes or even spinoffs like Puyo Puyo. Um, Honestly, so like, so like Thailand is Mono, Mono Monogatari Four is like kind of putting like a statement, saying like, "No, we're making like a real follow up this time." Yeah, I'm uh, interested to see where it goes. They're yeah. kind of like first person dungeon crawlers. They're actually quite difficult, actually. Yeah, I heard they're yeah. difficult and they're like pretty like like brutal, like graphically. Like like there is actually like you can see like, blood uh, in some of them. Uh, I mean, I, played, I, I think I played the one on PC Engine. I'm like, okay. First honestly, enemy encounter, get fucking murdered. Yeah, honestly, though, like mentioning like how graphic the original Modern Monogatari's are, I think the current like state of compile heart is probably in a good like spot to be able to kind of like um, handle that because like what's the most recent like uh, franchises that, that they've released that that have been prolific? Death and Request. And uh, what was the other one? All oh, right, Mary Skelter. Both of them are pretty like graphically violent. So it's like yeah. I think I feel like they have the talent there that they could really do something. And hey, like you said, if Dungeon RPG, it it might be the Mary Skelter team working on it. So. Yeah. So, so so they they sell they uh, mentioned this is going to be developed with Sting as well, along with um uh, along with D4 Enterprise, which are the current holders, uh, current IP holders of the model Monogatari uh, IP and. Uh, some of the like, or just say they, they mentioned many of the original cre- creators from like Compile that worked on Model Monogatari are also involved in this project, including Sting's president. Man, uh, this this <laughs> is really cool. And uh, and I did look it up, and I I was like, did they work on this? They did. Okay. Um, yeah. So the Dungeon Travelers games, which funnily enough, I was talking about that those a few months ago. Yeah, th- those were developed by Sting too. So they have recent experience with uh, dungeon mm. RPGs. So. Yeah, this honestly, this might for me be one of the coolest announcements of the entire year. I'm really excited to see where this goes. It, it is very out of nowhere. I was like, I had to like, I was like, <laughs> yeah, it is, it is, it is crazier the more you look into it as well. So this is definitely a, a big, big surprise uh, from this. So this is Model Monogatari Four uh, is slated to release next summer in Japan. Uh, no platforms have been announced for it. I'm importing this, this unless it's a day one like localization, then I'll play it that way. But uh, I'm importing this otherwise. <laughs> oh yeah, the, the, uh, the, I I want to see I want to see like a sweet shots and a trailer for this. I just I just want to know what it looks like. Like uh, now that I like have like I I I, I was able to see like what the original Modern Monogatari games look like. I was like, okay, what does like a modern one of these built from the ground up in modern day tech <laughs> like? What does it look like? It's it's uh, I don't know. It's hard to hard to think about. Um, another announcement uh, is uh, Compile Heart is also working on uh, a new. So let me let me put the put I guess they're they're working on two Death End Request projects. One is the next numbered mainline entry, so Death End Request Three. They're working on, but that's further down the line. For before they release that, um, they're uh, doing a spinoff 
for it called Death End Request Code Xeon. And that'll be, um, th- that it's a spinoff that's uh, uh, connecting, like, it's connected to the two uh, Death End Request mainline games that are already out. Uh, and then th- not much is known about it. They showed off three character designs. Um, all they really mentioned is they had, like since it's a spinoff title, they've uh, they'll be incorporating new elements and like tackling new challenges because of its spinoff nature, whatever that means. I hope um, it's a VN. Yeah. I hope it, yeah, I hope it's just a VN too. To be honest, you're right. <laughs> have you have you played the first one, Josh? Or? I played the first one, but like, uh, but I liked like the story. The VN. Yes, I, 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 didn't, the li- I didn't like. Yeah, the, yeah. I didn't like the gameplay. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, eventually. Actually, I if, yeah, yeah. I, I I even reviewed the PC version. It's like event. Like, if anyone's interested in those games, I'll just say two things. One, they are worth playing. Two, set it to the easiest difficulty. The gameplay is not worth engaging with. Yeah, I I, I never finished it because I just couldn't stand the gameplay. But like, maybe even I, I do I do want to like learn more about like how that game unfolds. Yeah, the story is great. It's just like, but the gameplay was just like, oh god. Yeah. Like, let's make a VN at this point. So the this uh, Code Zeon spinoff is um, also coming next. Uh, slated to release next summer in Japan. Man, it's gonna be a busy summer for them. If they don't delay the, uh, some of these. Um, and no, the no level five tactic of announcing all of their <laughs> games for a single time frame and then uh, letting it slip at a trade show. That oh yeah, this is probably not coming out until next year. <laughs> uh, yeah, God, I, I I have to imagine not all of these are gonna be. On, in summer, I imagine some of these will be pushed back unless they just really want to compete with themselves really hard. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and then the the before uh, ending the interview with Famitsu, uh, Kapalhard mentioned at long last that they're finally making the next num- mainline numbered entry in the Hyperdimension Neptunia series, which is actually a pretty big deal for people who like Neptunia because like Mega Dimension Neptunia uh, V2 was the last one they released, and that came out on the PlayStation 4 in Japan in April 2015. That was the last one they made of these mainline entries. And yep. people have been wondering, like, Mega Dimension of Tunia, actually a pretty solid game, to be honest. Like, I, I enjoyed it. I was like, oh, yeah. cool. I, I, I hope, like, you know, I can't wait to see the next new, like, <laughs> main one. And then that never fucking happened. They kept on making spinoffs and releases yeah. of, like, their old games. And it's like, what the fuck happened? Where's the next mainline one? Did they forget? Are they just not Yeah, gonna- it feels Maybe- like... It feels like for the last like couple years, like Compile Heart has been in a bit of a slump. Well, I guess Idea Factory in general has been in a bit of a slump. Where like, um, yeah, they've been releasing some games. Like I know, like, like, but really, it's just basically been like Mary Skelter games, and then Ark of Alchemist. Ark of Alchemist, which uh, I, I wish I could legitimately erase that game from my memory. It is trauma, <laughs> but uh, but uh, it's like. Like you said, like the last time that I felt like any sort of real positivity towards Idea Factory, and maybe that's a bit cynical to say, was yeah, when they released that like Neptunia game on PS4 and they had Fur- Fairy Fencer F Advent Dark Force, like Mary Skelter was coming out. It's like they were in a good spot. I I want this uh like uh new slight like slate of releases to be a success for them because honestly. Most of them sound really interesting. I I want them to be successful. I want them to like re- like be more ambitious because I feel like when when they are ambitious and they follow through, it's like they there's not many developers or size anymore. Like yeah, you, yeah, absolutely. It's, absolutely. Yeah. it's like yeah, you get like Falcom, which they release a game a year. Maybe they're releasing two games next year. You have like 
NIS, which even then, Nurwick is in a similar situation where it's like, I'm glad that this guy is seven did well because even though as much as I like uh, Labyrinth of Galeria, it's like how many of their game, recent games have been successes? It's like, I don't know. I don't know. It feels like it's, we're in a weird spot with the, uh, with uh, not just the Japanese game industry, but like overall, where it's like all these small developers still exist. But yeah, it's, it's like it's almost like the, the the middle tier of like Japanese development, right? It's not it's not as big as like Square Enix or Capcom, but it's not like like fully indie. Yeah, uh, it's like it's like more like that 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 middle tier of like hey, they're, they're, these are, they're still uh, working on stuff, but it doesn't feel like they haven't like had like a strong presence or been like been super relevant. It feels like that they're kind of like in the weird. Like almost transition instead of like what they want to, what what direction they want to take next. And I think that that's really emblematic here because the, the, they even mentioned in the interview like why did it take so long for the next Neptunia game to be in development? And then they said production of the game kicked off barely two years ago when like a small group of key staff, including producer Naoko Mizuno and series illustrator Sonako, like discussed what they wanted to like include in the game. And then now that they actually have like a clear direction of where they want to take it. You know that's where that's where they really started to kick off the development because they t- it took it took them so long to like kind of figure out like what where do we want to take this next installment and that's like kind of a hard it, it's it must be really difficult especially in like what Neptunia likes to do right they, it's like almost a parody of the game industry it's like what the fuck is the game industry anymore then yeah uh, I, I I will definitely say though that it sounds like perhaps now more than like ever before the company has a very strong vision for itself and mm-hmm. good i'm excited i'm really yeah. excited to see how this turns out so i hope it turns out well game is not going to be about console wars it's going to be about acquisitions and layoffs <laughs> and i'll be uh, battle passes and live services everywhere <laughs> but, oh man but yeah I, I i hopefully this like management shake up at compile heart definitely gets them in the, like, the right direction all of these like projects that they've laid out like you said uh, like sound interesting on paper and i really want to see you know how they pull it off like like the calamity angels game like that sounds really cool in concept but i really want to see how they pull it off so it's uh it was an unexpected amount of like compile heart this week but honestly it's like i come away from it hopefully optimistic i'm just like i'm just like hoping that like it's i want to be excited for their games again it's, it, it feels like it's been a while since i've like been excited for a compile heart game I always kind of get the impression that Compile Heart just makes way too many things and there's not enough quality put to it. That's how I see it. It's like a quantity over quality. I, I, also, I also think that like they just kind of re-release stuff like too much to like to, like like in in a way that like kind of feels like, like for example, they rem- remember they released a PlayStation Five exclusive re-release of the remake of the first Neptunia game that was the remake. Yeah, and they even like kind of pointed out how like like how much they were re-releasing that game because the name of the, of that like uh title was oh yeah it's it really a big emphasis on five because it's the fifth re-release on the playstation 5 it's like come on man like this is fucking stupid you know so it's just that on yeah yeah so hopefully you know this is a new bright future for them hopefully um I, I know Adam has a lot of thoughts on this. Oh, uh, not just Adam. Not just Adam. Adam, in, in the middle of, uh, I guess it was 6 p.m. Pacific on, uh, on uh, October 4th, uh, Spike Chunsoft officially announced the Western release of Sheeran the Wanderer, the Mystery Dungeon of Serpent Coil Island for Switch on February 27th, 
2024. And this was recently like leaked by like uh, another like retailer site like a week ago, I believe. I think um, it, it wasn't VGP, was it? Was it someone else? I think I'm it trying was VGP. Th- it was VGP. Okay. So, <laughs> so yeah. So this Shine the Wanderer Six, which is a, a roguelike mystery dungeon game, and we we're talking about spinoffs of other games. Uh, just with uh, the Monogatari game, Shire and the Wanderer is technically a Dragon Quest spinoff. But anyways, um, the Japanese Nintendo Direct, like two or three weeks back, had this game announced. But Spike Chunsoft's Western branches didn't say anything, which is sort of weird. And then like it leaked and then the store page was taken down. And I guess the question was, is like, well, why haven't they announced the English localization yet? If it's already ready to go, like you have an English title, you have an English, you have some English translated screenshots and everything, English logo, and they just didn't announce it at the time. And it was kind of like, what are they waiting for? And then they did announce it. They kind of announced the English translation, the English localization. Um, They announced it in the evening for Americans or like dead of night for Europeans because it was announced alongside in Japan time for some reason. And so they announced the localization at like, I think it was like 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 p.m. Eastern yeah. or something like that. Yeah. Which is like, which is weird because the uh, Japanese Nintendo Direct that was earlier this month was actually like during the day for us. And like they could have announced it then, but they didn't. But anyways, announcement, announcement oddness aside, yeah, so this game is officially coming out. It's coming out like two days before Final Fantasy VII uh, Rebirth. Um, I'll probably pick this up because I'm waiting for the PC version of Rebirth anyway. Um, but yeah, this is the sixth Shire Wanderer game. Uh, also the first one in over a decade because yeah. like the version that we've most recently played, like Shire the Wanderer, the Tower of Fortune, the Dice of Fate, what a, ha- what a fucking like, uh, mouthful. Uh, that was a rever. It's a port of a re-release of a DS game that came out in like what 2010 and I know, like and I I played the Vita version and I think you did yeah, too which was Yeah, I played the Vita out, version like, which years after the DS version or whatever it was. Well, yeah, more than that. And it's like uh Yeah, I I mean, I'm I'm super excited for this. I actually just went to the Japanese site to like find out if uh, cuz it's such a close proximity to the Japanese release. I was wondering, does the Japanese release have English? Uh no, it has Japanese and Chinese uh text only. But uh, I still might import it, so, or I don't know. Uh, um, so this game is using like 3D models now rather than 2D sprites. Um, and by the way, the the title of this game in English, I guess they decided for these for this series they're not going to use numbers because some of the original games were never localized. Um, the title of this game is the Mystery Dungeon of Serpent Coil Island. Now, yeah. what's sort of funny is this trailer. It's just like a translated version of the Japanese trailer. And the Japanese trailer shows like versions of all the games, and like this is the sixth one. The English version shows the same thing, which is sort of amusing because a lot of those games never got translated. I think what one, two, and four never did. Three it used got, to be a th- yeah. It used to be a Wii. thing. Yeah, there was a remake of the original game on DS that got localized, oh, okay. and then then three which i think was the wii one also got localized yeah. and then it it was a running joke in the community for a while where it's like we oh uh, we only yeah we only get the odd numbers because we got one three and five we didn't get two four we're, now we're getting six so the curse well, is broken I broke the curse. okay and i yeah. guess the recent most recent issue of Famitsu had a few more uh details uh, this is actually from our translator kite 
uh, Shiren can make his own body gigantic by eating lots of rice balls. The gigantic body will make him stronger, but there'll also be some sort of disadvantage. And there's like a... I'm guessing you can only move one every two turns. <laughs> so it's a male like slug that. problem. And then there's uh, there's apparently also gigantic monsters on the field. Um, I guess they're almost like an FOE from. They almost sound like an FOE from Etrian Odyssey, where it's uh, you will do very little damage to them. They'll roam certain floors and uh, they can disappear if not engaged. And Kite's translation says, the current build has no bonus rewards for defeating them, but the dev team may consider further adjustments to add some rewards. I so, love that. <laughs> so it's, it feels yeah. more like, like a, almost like a floor hazard rather than an enemy to defeat. Yeah, um, yeah. And I also one thing I noticed from the Japanese side, it, is, it outright says, yeah, this is the first game in 14 years. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, is, is this the direction that uh, you know Japanese games are going now? It's like our our new gimmick is uh big, go go giant. Like Disguise Seven has that jumbo jumbo vacation feature where you can like turn a, a unit into yes. like <laughs> like a giant pretty much off the board. So that's a, that's the next uh, gimmick every uh, Japanese games um, will have. It's like you're bigger now. Well, look forward to that in the next Neptunia game. I was just making that joke in Mel Slug. You know, when you become fat, your guns get like ten times stronger for some reason. Yeah, that uh, and metaphor or whatever, the, and or Persona Six. Well, one of those, you're big now. <laughs> you just really get. Big. Um, let's see here, a few more, a little small, smaller. Uh, I guess. Bits. Well, lastly, on yeah. Shiren, it's a Switch exclusive yeah. for now. Yeah. Yes. So I actually might hesitate on if I pick it up or not. Like, <laughs> it it it'll probably eventually come out on yeah, PC. But, I, but, yeah, it could yeah. be years. Damn, why does everyone hate the Switch, guys? Why? No, no, no. I like the Switch well enough. And I, I mean this is this is this is a this is a mystery dungeon game. It's yeah, not gonna fine. be a big difference. Yeah. Um honestly I'm curious uh wondering if I should reach out to Spike Trunsoft because like when they I can talk about this, like had a meeting with them during uh, TGS and it was actually the Japanese side of things. So I might actually reach out to them saying, hey, uh, I can read Japanese well enough. I'd love to review the Japanese version of this or, or we would love to review the Japanese version of this or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, if, if, if you want to do it, do it. Um, let's see. Gothic 1 on Switch recently came out and and uh, soon after that, they have announced over at THQ Nordic and Piranha Bytes that Gothic 2 Complete Classic is coming to the Nintendo Switch on November 29. For you Gothic heads uh, who wanted to play it on Switch, um, and that's you know this is this will have the, all the expansions. So this new port is called the Complete Classic because it has the Knight of the Raven expansion, which released in 2003 as well. Um, shortly after the base release of Gothic 2. What's sort of funny is that I guess these versions of Gothic have some like bug fixes and tweaks and other things which exist for the PC version, but kind of like as mods, I suppose. Because the PC versions are old. Yeah. Um, so it's like in a way, not including mods, like these are technically the best versions of Gothic, like versus the PC. Out of the game. box, yeah, you yeah. don't have to like mod it. Yeah, okay, um, yeah. yeah. I, I remember, I remember we we did that for Gothic one. Like, I think a whole complete list. I was like, holy shit, yeah. that is a big ass list. No, of I don't fixes. know if this game is similar, but I was yeah, I was referring to one. Yeah. Um, Gothic is a game that if you're like from Europe, especially like Eastern Europe, I guess, because these are well, I guess these are games are German originally. 
um, it seems to have like if you're of a certain age and you grew up, you know, playing games, computer games in like the early 2000s, Gothic was probably something you played and has a following. And I know some people who are really big fans of the games, especially the first one. So it's like maybe someday when I have more time than I do now, I will check it out. Um, Switch versions, it's kind of just like an interesting act of almost preservation in a way. Like, hey, we're taking this yeah. game. It's now on a modern console. I mean, it's obviously still on PC. You can still get it. But, you know, it's just kind of an interesting decision to re-release these games. I actually even saw, um, I saw this on Twitter, and I don't remember exactly where it was, so I apologize if I get some of the details wrong. But it was either an MMA fighter or an AEW fighter or some sort of professional wrestler who was from, like, Europe, and I think he had, like, an Austrian accent or maybe a Russian accent of some sort. And he was being asked about RPGs, even though he's, like, a wrestler. And he's like, well... I like Witcher. I like Cyberpunk. Those are fine. But you know what's really great? Gothic. You need to check it out. <laughs> That's, <laughs> That's <fun>. awesome. <laughs> I love that. So, yep. Hell yeah. Man, that's amazing. You know, that, that kind of reminds me of those times like when you watch WWF and those people that bring like, those posters saying like, FF9 is like, the greatest or something oh, like that. Oh, yeah. It's like that kind of type of thing. Like Final Fantasy VIII is better than Tactics or whatever. Actually true. <laughs> Fucking hot take. Uh, next up, we have uh, For the King 2, which I did check out at PAX West or before PAX West technically. I really like that. That's coming. That got a release date. That's coming out on November 2nd for PC. Uh, and it's going to be priced pretty reasonably. It's at, uh, coming out at $24.99 USD, uh, $19.99. Oh, I don't know what that is. Is this the pound or the what's the, or the euro? I don't the... <laughs> $19.99 either pound or euro. You'll um, find out when you uh, pay. <laughs> I mean, you can go check up the... the, the... Uh, uh, $19.99 pound, $24.99 euro. Thank you. I don't know the symbols between pound and that's euro. Like, that's like twice the price in Canadian. Um and yeah. <laughs> so yeah, November second, and then I I wrote up uh, my preview on it when I got to check out at PAX. Um, the, the obviously the big big feature here that uh every for the king one player wanted was hey please support up to four players, and so they're doing that and they revamped the whole battle system uh to support that and you know making it more uh tactically challenging uh all around still a tough game. Um, and but you have to manage like uh, between like front row and back rows and like move into tactical positions now on that like that kind of like new grid based uh turn based uh, battle system. So, um, yeah, that'll be coming out uh just next month, and um, a lot of people are excited because the For the King one definitely found its audience, uh, became a huge hit for people who wanted to play uh cooperatively RPGs, RPG. So, yeah, so that's cool. Um, this one's really cool too. Uh, we we unveiled it here. I got to view uh, Keizo, the uh, developer of Asta Libre Revision. Asta Libre Revision uh, is coming to Nintendo Switch on November 16. Um, they announced uh, Keizo and Whisper Games uh, announced that uh, it'll launch digitally. It'll only receive a digital launch. There's no physical version. It'll be priced at uh, 24.99 USD. Uh, and this originally came out on PC via Steam uh, last year in October. And um, like I said earlier about that Switch version, uh, we, we announced it first, baby. That's yeah, right. We did. That's right. 
Um, uh, uh, do you know that this comes with like the DLC segment or? Uh, this all, this, this, all, this all, the, um, Kezo is still working on the Baker's Daughter DLC, so that's not gonna be. It's not even gonna be out on PC for a while. He's still uh, developing it. Um, he, he he shared some clips of it on his Twitter, but it's still an active development. He only, got, he only showed off test demo footage uh, of it, so we have no release date on that yet because it's still in development. Uh, but um, this this I assume this um this release on Nintendo Switch will have the updated localization of the game because they released it recently uh, patched that game a few months back to have a more refined English script for lines to flow better. Yeah, I played uh, the prologue and it's it's a huge improvement in my yeah. opinion. I, I know I have a friend that still stands by the original translation because it reminds <laughs> him more of like the Super Nintendo days of translation kind of stories. Mm-hmm, but that's that's his take. But I I totally prefer the new one. But mm-hmm. there, they, you have to option to switch to the old one. So if you don't like the new one, you can switch back. To yeah, the I, I, yeah, yeah. The Steam version. I don't know if they have that option on the Nintendo Switch version. No. Obviously, sure. the new one it would be set to default. So. Well, I think on I think on Steam it's like literally you put in a beta code, it go like an you literally like revert a version. So I don't know if the Switch version is just going to have a toggle. I'm going to doubt it. Yeah, but we'll see. Um, so yeah, for people who haven't played this game, have been waiting for the Switch version. Uh, highly, highly, highly recommend playing this game if you like. Uh, if you want a side-scrolling action RPG that's more like in line with like older. Uh, East games, um, more like East Free. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's a it's a very versatile uh, game where you could kind of if you if you want to like play a certain way, go for it. It doesn't punish you. It'll it, there, there's a lot yeah. of like customization systems on like just to encourage like what 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 you have fun with. I wonder have have James finished this game now or or the Switch version? I been waiting for. I well no I. I have a Steam Deck. I can play it on Steam Deck. I've been waiting for the translation. I know it's out, but this year has been such yeah. a an avalanche of <laughs> RPGs, especially long RPGs. That I've just not had the time. Plus, even beyond that, I've just been so busy this year. Yeah. So yeah. it's not, it's not uh, like you went to TGS or anything like that. It's not like I did a Summer Game Fest, uh, a bunch of preview events, and Anime Expo too. A star MVP player. Oh God! Yeah, so you know, when when people find the time, hopefully more people uh, will uh, give this game a shot. And like, if you've been, um, you know, once again, if you've made for, for it on Switch, yeah, it's gonna be co- coming out very soon. So definitely check it out. Taya's recommendations here. It made our top ten list last year. Uh, Chow uh, put up his review of the PC version. It's my and, game of the year for yeah. that year, at least yeah. in my opinion. For me, <laughs> yeah, you know, I have a very high opinion of it too. So. Um, a big, big uh, milestone here for CD Projekt Red. They announced that Cyberpunk 2077 has surpassed 25 million units sold, and their Phantom Liberty DLC is off to a pretty good start, uh, uh, passing 3 million. Um, so, you know, that's a rocky launch in the, at the end of December, uh, at the end of 2020 in December, but, you know, the, the new 2.0 update is out, along with the Phantom Liberty DLC. Personally, I've been playing a lot of Cyberpunk 2077. I just barely started the Phantom Liberty DLC at 36 hours in, and I've enjoyed that a lot. So, you know, I, I started it for the first time. I've I really liked the new aggression systems in that game. I don't really like. I'm glad I started it now instead of like earlier versions uh, of that game. So, so this is like my definitive playthrough of that game. Um, impression. Yeah, I, I need like, to start this. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I feel like my impression from reading people it feels like 
even the base game was very good to begin with. It was just buggy, you know. It sounds. I, like- I, I, th- I think there's a, there's a lot of like, like the, it's night and day when you see comparisons of like how this game was like 1.0 versus 2.0, like how, like just the inter how interactive the world is, the way that like the the, the way you interact with stuff, the environment, and especially like the way you progress through the game, like character building. It's like it's very night and day for in that in that end. So I recommend you check out like all the numerous YouTube videos uh, that look into that because I saw some of them. Like holy shit, I'm glad that I started 2.0. Um, but I think the one thing that I I kind of miss after like uh, talking to some people and seeing some of the videos is like the thing that they did um, with this game in 2.0 is that everything has like level scaling to you now. So all the enemies that you encounter will be relatively around your level. While in like earlier versions of that game, there's like aspects of the world that had like higher level enemies and like lower level enemies. So like you want to avoid this district because there's like level thirty enemies. I'm gonna be honest. That's like the one. That's the most negative thing I've heard about this update. Like I'd heard nothing but good things. But as one of those people that does not like level scaling in RPGs, I like it when there's like specific pockets yeah, of the too. world. It's like I hear that. And it's like, oh man, I wish there was yeah. an option to turn Can you it off. Imagine if a game like uh, I don't know why this is what popped in my head, but could you imagine if a game like Xenoblade Cross had level scaling? Oh man, I would like, not I like that. Know. No, no, no. Has like those danger zones and yeah, like, oh. yeah. No, it's like that's what makes it. What like it's like the story lets you know that the that the world is so dangerous, and then the gameplay it showcases that. <laughs> it's like yeah, yeah, so yeah, so I, like you know, like there are certain parts of the like in Cyberpunk, it's like oh, you want to avoid that area until like a, a much later part. So yeah, that's kind of the the, the major change up that like that really. Um, that you know, I I I, I saw, and and it's um, nice, and it's sort of nice when there isn't level scaling when you are powered up, you know, 30, 40 hours in the game, and you return to like an earlier zone. There is that sort of cool feeling of like, ha, oh, these guys are pathetic now. I remember when these guys gave me trouble, you know, twenty hours ago, and now I can stomp all over them, and now you lose that if they I, scale I, up to I, you. Yeah, but uh, you know, but I do have a pretty good build now. I like I, I kind of have like a psychopath sort of katana build where like there's a lot of damage mitigation. As I, I'm only do. using, I'm only using <laughs> katana to like slice everything, <laughs> and like a stealth. Uh, maybe I'll use it sometimes, but if things go south, it's okay. I'll just cut off everyone's heads, and it'll be fine. It'll be fine. Now, as so, a point of comparison, um, so obviously, 25 million units is a lot. Yeah. Uh, the Witcher Three Wild Hunt is at 50, 50 million units. Yes, and that's just—I think that just goes to show, like, wow, Witcher Three was kind of a massive, massive, massive success, and then it got like a second wind with the uh, with... the Netflix adaptation. I wonder and what then they're a third wind with the Switch version because I know the Switch version sold really right. well. Yeah, that's true. I, I now, wonder what their Cyberpunk... expectations were for Cyberpunk now. Like, since well, like, is this is this still like is this still like speaking of Cyberpunk adaptations? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Oh yeah. Well, I mean, yes. Uh, uh, thank you. <laughs> uh, CD Projekt Red also announced, uh, along with their milestone update, is um, they're partnering with Anonymous Content to develop a live-action Cyberpunk 2077 project that's still in early development. Anonymous Content uh, produced shows such as True Detective and Mr. Robot. Um, so, uh, you know, obviously, we'll see if this will like rejuvenate. Interest in Cyberpunk once again, the, the oh, Cyberpunk the edge, run, edge Runners. Yeah, but... yeah, the Edge Runners anime is really, really good, and that got a lot of people to check, go check out Cyberpunk. There's even, there's even like you know, there, there's more 
Edge Runners content and makes and nods in 2.0 um, that they added in because like that anime is so beloved. You know, this kind of makes me wonder, you know, maybe if Final Fantasy XV did a different approach, instead of releasing the cross-media products before the actual product launch, maybe they should release it after to get people to re-interest in the game instead. You know, yeah, maybe, maybe they should have done that. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, like, I, like, I've kind of, I've got, like, the Cyberpunk, like, story content has kind of grown on me as I've played, like, I've, like, I've really, like, not even Keanu Reeves in it, <laughs> to be honest. I really like his Johnny Silverhand character, and there are some cool characters uh, throughout I mean, it. How too. can you not love Johnny? And, and then, like, and like, even though I'm starting, like, just starting the Phantom Liberty DLC, like, I'm now, I'm now past kind of like the opening section into like now I can kind of explore the new Dogtown area on my own, like the like, um, like the some of the characters that you're that you're uh, introduced to, like the Myers, um, and also like the new Netrunner. Uh, uh, seem pretty neat. So, also, I, I haven't seen Idris Elba yet. I'm, I think I'm on my way to maybe meet him, and <laughs> then the next story beat. Um, but yeah, I need to delve more into it. So, it, it's kind of just I just kind of been playing it at my own pace and just kind of I'm not funny. really rushing through it. Yeah. So. And we'll you are playing on PC, right? Yeah, I'm playing on PC as well. I wonder how how good the game runs on my graphics card now. I'm curious to try it. Yeah, I have it on high settings on my 3080. I think I think I have DLSS, uh, like the auto DLSS, or some sort of like upscaling, or whatever AI shit. Oh, um, wait, wait, I asked this question in the last podcast. Did James get a chance to try out FSR free with Forspoken? No. Why would I boot up Forspoken when I have East 10 to play? He no. really wants you to check out FSR. <laughs> hey, it's trying to justify my graphic card purchase, okay? Oh. <laughs> you, why don't you just buy Forspoken and check it That's out? That's right. Uh-huh. No, I don't want to give Square Enix that money. Well, here, here's the thing. You don't even need to buy Forspoken. It has a demo on Steam. Mm-hmm. No way, I don't play demos. No way, I don't play demos. <laughs> Downloading the demo of Forspoken would be less of a waste of money than buying Forspoken. Carl really, really hates demos. Okay, He's apparently. a very principled person, okay? Yeah. And you know what you know? You know what you call chow? Anti-demo chow. Oh. <laughs> <That> sounds racist. <laughs> <laughs> you racist said against so money or something. I don't know. Uh, God damn it. Uh, another milestone here: Fate Samurai Remnant has surpassed three hundred thousand units worldwide in its first week. I have to imagine they're happy with this. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't, I wonder what their internal expectations were, but I feel like three hundred thousand is a way bigger number than I would have thought for this game. Isn't this like amazing numbers? <laughs> no like... idea. So that's the, the thing. Only thing I can like, think I of is uh, Persona Five Strikers. Mm-hmm. In 2021, so this was, uh, this was two months after the English release, which was about a year after the Japanese release, sold 1.3 million. Now that's Omega Force, but that's also Persona, where this is Fate. Mm-hmm. But you know, spinoffs of a larger franchise. So that was like the one point of comparison I was thinking. Like, okay, Persona Five Strikers after a year was just above a million, and that was a weird staggered release so like i don't know that's a point of comparison for a yeah spin-off franchise I, 
Musou type RPG. Yeah, I wonder. Hopefully, I don't know. I have no idea. I've, I've, I assume this might be a success for them, but I have no idea what their expectations were for it either. Like but I'm seeing, like in the Famitsu, uh, Famitsu, uh, like sales chart, it's like it's like the number one thing in there most of it. In most of it, you know? yeah, I think it outsold East Ten even, right? Outsold yeah, East, East, 10. yeah, East Ten, like all platforms combined, is about on par with what East Nine did at launch. So it's like some people have been like doom and gloom about it, but it's like but it's realistic. not really doom and gloom. It's it's still forty five k. It's just yeah. like yeah, it's not and, like and, all... and 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 like. Not ever since, it's split up. Yeah, and, and also ever since like COVID digital like has been yeah. a bit like bit better. So it's like all all in all, it's fine. It's fine. But yeah. yeah. Obviously I wish there was more success, but you know, we can't get it can't get everything. Um so yeah, so that that's I wonder I man, it would be I would be shocked if this if this game's uh, lifetime sales ever reach a million, because that that'd be great. I would like that. But man, that'd be that'd be gigantic. I think it will. I think yeah. it will specifically because it's on PC, and not only is PC growing in Japan, but like Steam sales and all that. Which That's I right. know, Koei Tecmo Steam sales doesn't happen very often, but it does happen. So I'm still waiting for them to. They're never gonna do it because I think they don't have the license anymore. But they, I'm still waiting for their Arslan Warriors of Legend or whatever game to get a discount on Steam. I still have that at the top of my wish list because I really want to get that, but I don't want to pay a full price for it. And no, I, oh, no other site has like keys for it anymore because it's so old. So just I, I actually read the story of the books. God, that is the biggest train wreck when it gets to the end. Uh, I I only, I only watched like the first like uh, the, whatever they, anime seasons came out for it. They, like, they oh, adapt cool. only they adapt the good part. Once it gets yeah, to the time skip, it it basically jumps to the shark times a billion. Totally. I just oh, went to the man. Steam page of this game, and it's like still sixty dollars. Yeah. Um, it is it's a sixty dollars for the longest time from like in the game was released in two thousand sixteen. It's like eight years yeah. old, seven years old. <laughs> so. I think, I think Josh, if I show you the Amazon reviews for the last two books, they have like a one point five star rating. Oh my god, dude! Don't, don't tell me that. I really like the show. I was like, oh man, I wish they made more seasons. And that's why, they don't want, that's why they don't want to adapt anything past uh, the time skip. Oh fuck! <laughs> like, well, thanks for ruining my dreams, Chow. Fuck you. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> uh, it's sort of funny is I guess Koei Tecmo literally has a sale going on right now. Uh-huh. And when you go to that Arsland page, like there's a banner there, like Koei Tecmo sale, <laughs> but it doesn't include this game. I, I feel like they like lost, like uh, like they, you can still sell the game, but I think they like lost the like or like the. I think they lost like the ability to like, be able to like put it on discount anymore. Probably. You know what I would want if they actually like release this game? Get like right. the Amino artwork as like at the LC armors because the oh, yeah. the original OVA was adapted from the series using uh Yoshitaka Amino art in there, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like his art coming to life, which is very cool. I mean, even the main character looks like a Final Fantasy character with the way the original version looks like. It's always it's always difficult to adapt his artwork into 3D. That's the thing. It's, it's always it, like it, it. I don't know if any if any game has like done it like successfully. Uh, Final Fantasy fourteen, but I mean, and Walker. Okay. They have one boss that looks like his artwork captured perfectly. Hmm. Okay. Well, it's a pretty big spoiler. It's a it's an <laughs> Walker thing. The Ed Walker. Uh, and then lastly, here to cap off our news section, we have uh, a new trailer for Persona Five Tactica. 
uh, showcasing the rest of the Phantom Thieves. So in case you're not familiar with the Phantom Thieves, you can get introduced to them. Holy, who's in the Phantom Thieves? I don't know. Morgana, so the go to bed. <laughs> And then, and then also they the on top of that they have like Akechi and Kasumi as like the DLC, the DLC characters. Yeah. Atlas DLC. Atlas DLC. We love Atlas. Did anyone get the chance to check out that Persona Five mobile game? Oh, the, the one in China. Whatever it was. I, the like I, the Persona Five DX or something. It's like, I forgot what it's called. Is that uh, supposed to be canon? I've heard yes, it was like so Look, if you if you ask Atlas, everything is canon. Like even the Persona Q games are canon according to them. So if you if you trust the the words of the developers, every Persona spinoff is canon according to them. If you actually believe that, then I don't know what to tell you. It's okay. okay well, the Persona three and five dancing games can be canon, especially since it true. literally all happens while they're asleep, so nothing happens. <laughs> well, like Persona Q, like Josh is saying, it literally is just like this. Technically, is canon and happened. Just everybody forgot about it, and it took place in a pocket of time that disappeared or something. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It's still Somehow, it's still uh, wild how Persona 4 Dancing All Night is can- canonically a sequel to like the arena games and actually makes some references <laughs> to them and it's like that'll that would never happen these days. <sighs> so yeah, Persona 5 Tactica uh coming out November 17th still for pretty much all platforms. Yeah. Uh, even I was, even I Switch. It was an Xbox exclusive. That's a joke. We, we, we can't say that out loud, or else Microsoft and Atlas are going to get that. We have right. to, we have to, we have to pretend they're Xbox exclusives. According to the trailer, probably to Xbox game only for um, two days. <laughs> and yeah, that's uh, you know everything that pretty much happened in the world of RPGs this week. You know, on a pretty nice, slow, relaxed week. We don't know. Uh, are there any new releases coming out next week? Um, I, I want to say yes. Uh, the Lords of the Fallen is the big one. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. That's yeah, that's and a big one. There is um, it's, excuse me, it's Lord Lords of the Fallen, not the Lords of the Fallen. Yeah, that's what both I said. of us were correct. Yeah, that's what we said. Okay. Now there's a bunch <laughs> really of uh, there's a bunch of um, smaller games. There's the 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 first four mercenaries indie RPG RPGs indie. Scale RPGs are coming out to uh, for, for Steam. That's Mercenary oh. Saga, Mercenary Saga two, three. Oh, oh that was, I thought they were already on Steam. Nope. No, okay. Good. There are like Switch? seven of those games, and the first four were never on Steam, but now they are. Uh, okay. There's the PlayStation Five version of Honkai Star Rail. There you go. Oh no, wait. No, yeah, that's next week. Okay. And I think that's. There's a couple of other indie games. There's a the console version of Long Gone Days. Hmm. Okay, that's like an indie kind of narrative war RPG I, from some. I guess Chilean that's also that, that's also like reaching 1.0 then with yeah, the console it's, version. It's, so it's already right? on Steam, but it's getting like the 1.0 update. Okay. And then there's a Ukrainian Fallout like called Space Wreck, which is coming oh. out. Interesting. Yep. All right. Okay. Question. Is there anything special for Thanksgiving this year? What do you mean? Uh, uh, for Canadian Thanksgiving? Oh, we're already past Canadian Thanksgiving. I don't know why oh. ours is a month before yours. Wait, so wait, so wait. What's your what's Canadian Thanksgiving? What the fuck? It's like, it's like October third, I think. Oh, so it was oh. this week. Yeah. Oh, okay. how's your Canadian? How's your Canadian was... Thanksgiving, Chow? I, I'm Chinese. I don't know anything about Thanksgiving uh, culture. Canadian, okay. Also. Yeah, but 
I was born Chinese, so I grew up in the Chinese household, and we came well, over here. We don't know what the hell Thanksgiving is. I'm well, sorry, American guys. American Thanksgiving is late November. It'll be like right after Tactica comes out or whatever, and after my RPG remake. So I mean, I haven't, yeah, I haven't been thought about Thanksgiving until like right now. <laughs> you mentioned it. I'm like, oh yeah. The only reason yeah. I mentioned it now is because we had it a week ago. Technically, I, I don't know what's coming out around Thanksgiving this year. To be honest, it's, it's Tactica and Super Mario RPG, basically. And then yeah. afterwards, there's the uh, Gothic Two on Switch. <laughs> yep. Hell yeah. So yeah, I, I guess the, I guess Gothic Two on Switch is like the closest RPG release to Thanksgiving Day. Oh wait, wait, I, I lied. It is October 9th. It's you Monday. don't even That's know what's going on. Do you get to work on Monday? <laughs> No. <laughs> All the Canadians are so mad at you right now because they're <laughs> like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, us are just double Americans. We're like, I don't even know Damn. what to do. I, I guess I'm getting deported because I don't know my holidays. <laughs> yeah, yeah so that, I, I guess they divert uh, Chinese people in Canada because they don't know holidays, too, according to you. Well, so you hate them and you're getting deported. <laughs> that's true. That's true. All right. Well, that's. Uh... That's everything that you have for now. You can check us out at rpgsite.net. You can check us out on Twitter slash X on at RPG site. You can check out our Facebook at facebook.com slash RPG site net. You can uh, visit us on YouTube at youtube.com slash RPG site net and see and, you know, listen to this podcast over there at YouTube. You can also listen to our podcast uh, via uh, by searching up the TetraCast on your favorite podcast app and iTunes or Spotify. Um, I guess uh, Brian over at our staff chat a few days ago said that Google is cl- killing uh, another one of its Yeah, I guess uh, Google apps. Podcast is dying. So, so you will no longer be able to search up for us. Yeah. I, I, don't know if, I don't know if anyone listened to us on there. I know people do listen to us on Apple Podcasts, but yeah, yeah I know. So, I still miss so, Google Reader. Rip Google Reader. It's so funny seeing some people like just take uh, Google's word for it when they said, oh, yeah, the new Pixel is going to have seven years of support. And it's like, I don't believe you. <laughs> I'll believe it when I see it. Yeah, speaking of Google, they're also make sure if you have um, um, a Stadia controller the, to, uh, to enable Bluetooth on that uh, in the next few months because they're going to shut that down to enable Bluetooth on it, apparently. Yeah. Does so. Chow have a Stadia controller? No. Please you have like every controller. One. You should get a Stadia one. Chow is actively looking for someone to give them the uh, to to get their Stadia controller from. So if you have a Stadia controller that you don't want to use, send it to Chow, I guess. Um, and you can also visit our Discord over at discord.com/slash/invite/slash/rpg/site. Um, people have been talking about I don't know RPGs sometimes there. A lot of fake about, memes. They do think, talk about it a lot. I there. think. I think we have a vanity uh, link where we can just literally, it would be uh, discord.gg slash RPG site. You don't need the invite part of it. Oh. Yeah, we do. We do. Yeah. Oh, so yeah, you can yeah. find us at discord.gg slash RPG site. Uh, why do we have the, the, the old link on our, on our podcast document? What are we doing? Because Brian never updated it. God damn it, Brian. <laughs> um, well, we've been giving them wrong info for how many years now? It's over. I think Brian's I'm pretty sure. Sh- site. He just never wrote it down. Uh, uh, all right. Well, you can visit us there. 
Um, and yeah, that's it. That's it for the Tetracast. Um, see you guys next week. Um, and hopefully, you know, we'll see what the next week brings. Whether it's hopefully it's all cool news and no no more bad news. Bad news is banned. Until next time. Anyways, you guys want to you guys want to talk about how we pronounce a certain character in Final Fantasy VII remake? No. <laughs> <laughs> Uh. God damn it. God Bye, damn it. everyone. Yeah. Uh.